so welcome back to the coffee and heroes podcast as promised we are moving on to our review show so we got back on track with the reviews we worked really hard to get back on track and then what happened there was a week of no delivery followed by a double week of delivery so when you're handed a pile as i'm sure uh, my cohort will attest to also when you're handed a pile of 45 to 50 comics for one week it's a little bit more not off-putting i would say but definitely it takes a bit longer to get through than two weeks of 25 comics so that put us back a little bit again but we're back here with two weeks worth of reviews and then the next podcast we're going to also do two weeks and hopefully fingers crossed be back on track so your host as always of the coffee and heroes podcast alan owner and operator of coffee and heroes uh i'm just joined tonight by my uh cohort norms as i say mr marvel himself keith how are you i am i am good i'm good i'm glad to be Glad to be sitting here talking talking comics with you after well, I suppose it's Wednesday, it's hump day, so halfway through the the working week. Uh, but I'll be really glad to get it over with. I have to say, and uh, I've got uh, a big old pile of a uh, big old pile of comics sitting beside me that need to be well, the the big pile that we're reviewing, but also the big pile that, uh, that I need to read sitting on my on my left. Uh, and that's because uh, you were kind enough to pop around today and uh, and and, and uh, yourself and Vicky and give me my my four color first aid package but it just went straight to the bottom of the pile from last week that i've hardly started reading uh because i got so far behind from the last two weeks but i'm glad to be talking about them finally yeah you need to step away from red dead redemption too i understand that's taking up quite a substantial amount of time at the moment oh it is it is i uh i mean i know it's not a new game you know but i, I don't really spend an awful lot of time on my, my playstation 4 but uh oh that that the story the story in that game is i mean i've <laughs> I've seen, I've seen big budget movies with less involved, less complex, less emotive stories. Uh, I was, I was sitting on floods of tears last night at that, at that game, and it's not very often a game, a game does that, you know. But they have really, they've really tied you to that, to that character and 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 to his fate. And uh, oh, and I'm, I guess I'm trying to play it in a, I suppose an authentic way, a genuine way, mm-hmm. uh, making the decisions that I feel that that Arthur would uh you know uh and i'm really yeah really really enjoying it really enjoying it uh twists and turns and uh yeah real uh real 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 body blows of emotion at times and i suppose i should clarify as well there you were just saying with it being wednesday and hump day and all the rest you'll be glad to get it over with you don't mean this podcast you mean this week i'm guessing that is correct <laughs> yes absolutely just yeah i mean i, I think you know, you start you start work in January. Uh, those of us who are lucky enough to have work and and, and not be furloughed or, or whatever, but uh, you start work in, uh, in January and you've got that post Christmas shine. <laughs> and, and by the time it gets to the end of February, you're realizing, damn, it's a long way to Easter. <laughs> so, so so yeah, I've uh, I've put in for a couple of holidays around a few days holidays around St Paddy's Day, which is 17th of March. Uh, so I'm taking the, the better part of that that week off just for a wee recharge every every day is a wee bit of a struggle at the minute at work so uh so yeah this is this is refreshing alan this is refreshing well that's it the one good thing about hump day is that it's new comic book day so you know the the talkative juices are flowing shall we say and again we've been uh looking forward to going into these titles these are going to be reviews from uh the 10th and from the 17th of february but you may notice that we're we're just trading tonight as a terrible twosome. Uh, Patty has not joined us tonight. Uh, the official line is internet troubles. I personally think it's just still embarrassment because 
I, uh, I recently got a whole pile of comics back from CGC, including quite a few for Paddy, because he, he's a big Department of Truth fan, and he jumped on it in earnest from the beginning. And now, of course, it's starting to be a big title on the secondary market, exciting TV and film news. And I gave him a couple of, well, I sold him a couple of his slabs last week, and I, I joked with him, you know, put them in the seatbelt in the back of the car, keep them pristine. They're worth a lot of money at the moment. And about an hour later, I got a message from him saying, damn karma. And he showed me a photo of one of them cracked to pieces. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's, I personally think it's embarrassment. That's why he's not here, to be honest, tonight. But uh, I'm sure he'll be back to defend that claim uh, before too long. But you're just stuck with the two of us tonight, I'm afraid. But <laughs> we'll do our best to keep it entertaining. But yeah, I mean, just bits and pieces, I suppose, just to chat about just before we move on to the comics side of things. I mean, it's now a... You know, it's always a discussion about one division. It's it's probably the most talked about comic book show in years, I would say. Certainly with some of the the creative risks it's taking, some of the storytelling it's taking, and it's an interesting one when Keith and I chat about it because we we don't have fully opposing views, but I'm of the opinion that it's seventy five percent meh and twenty five percent amazing. I get the feeling you think it's a hundred percent amazing. I don't, nothing's 100% amazing. Uh, I mean, there's and there's something to be said for the fact it's the first comic book type, a new comic book type thing that we've seen in, in the best part of a year. Uh, so there is that. But I mean, I I'm, I'm, I would be the other way around. I'd be more 80, 90% awesome. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, the 10% mech comes in the massive, massive long uh, credits. <laughs> but, <laughs> so you're saying while it's on, it's 100% amazing. My original I'm, comment holds true. Fair, fair, okay. Um, I went the long way around there, but uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, episode eight uh, broadcast last week, episode nine, which is the final episode broadcast on Friday, uh, and yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying its links to both the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but the things that it's bringing in from the from the, the comics as well. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it, and uh, you know we we're now. We're now wondering, was it in fact Agatha all along? You know, uh, I, really... I think there's another twist to come. Personally, I, I don't think they always reveal the true villain a couple episodes before the end. I think it's there's still one more twist, definitely. I, I think to come. Yeah, but the the last the last issue, well, the last issue, the last episode, and the, the previous episode were just really solid. You know, we're we're in the the back three and and. Uh, we're we're in the, the end, in the end game, I suppose you might uh, say. It had to be said. It had to be said. Yeah, I mean, I, enjoy, so, I did enjoy episode eight. I mean, I think I enjoyed it possibly more than some of the other ones because it linked so much to the MCU, and that that's the main reason I watch the show. I want to know the direction they're going in. I love the links to the MCU. I love plugging some of those gaps. You know, showing some of Wanda's history, uh, that kind of stuff. It was interesting to see the sort of almost the reverse of when she went to get Vision's body because the first way it was presented was very threatening, very aggressive, that mm-hmm. she stormed in and, you know, took his body away. This one was done in a bit more of a peaceful, you know, not, not necessarily peaceful, it's certainly mournful and sorrowful way and she was much more cooperative and so forth. But And in fact, and in fact, she didn't take his body. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was, that was I think... I think it's interesting. I think you know we're we're seeing now that uh, Hayward, the uh, the general, you know, has his own agenda here, and uh, never and trust a general in the Marvel universe. <laughs> oh, never, never. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's there's that going on, and obviously his agenda is around 
vision and vision's body and using vision as a weapon and then he i guess understood maybe understood but certainly benefited from the fact that that vision's contact with wanda whose power had come from the mind gem originally reactivated vision though wanda wasn't aware of this and has given has given Hayward the uh, the weapon that he wants, possibly, mm. possibly to hide his lies. Uh, no, to close the to close the circle. Um, I mean, my 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 question is 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 who exactly is Senior Scratchy the rabbit? Uh, I'm interested in, in in knowing what's going on there. Uh, if we if we follow along the uh, if we follow along the route from the comics, there's tragedy lies ahead with regard to the children. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I've been, been involved in discussions as to whether or not Agatha actually is a villain. Mm-hmm. There's nothing yet. I don't think that has, that has in her behavior that has shown her necessary to be, well, to she, certainly, she certainly was threatening, she was certainly threatening the kids quite sufficiently. If the kids exist. Well, that's another point, I suppose. But they did present her, I thought, in this episode as relatively evil when you think back to that opening sequence where the Salem witch trials and all that kind of stuff. So they do show her, well, I suppose they don't necessarily show her as massively villainous, but certainly very powerful. Well, yeah, not, not, not villainous, because to be fair to her, you know, to be fair to, to Agatha, her coven were trying to burn her at the stake. Hmm. You know, so <laughs> you're going to do whatever you can to get out of that mess. Well, that's fair, but she uh, does kill every single one of them. She And she absorbs their powers. Uh, so that's that's interesting. But the other really interesting thing, Alan, uh, it was a tiny wee thing. But uh, I mean, this episode it had us going back through uh, Wanda's history, you know, and the things we knew, but from a different point of view, mm-hmm. from Wanda's point of view actually. And that very very first scene, you know, where she's a child, her and her and Pietro were children, and the Stark missile. I know you were very glad to see the Stark bomb, <laughs> but. The intima- the in- the intimation that uh, that Agatha makes is that a young Wanda used her hex powers to alter the probability of the bomb exploding, mm-hmm. which is why it didn't explode. Now the the sort of lead on from that was that Wanda had her powers as a child, and the inference from that could be that we know that mutants develop their powers around sort of late childhood mm-hmm. uh you know onset of puberty so is it a is it a, is it a, is it a nod to the fact that we're introducing mutants into the marvel universe here or i don't know i don't know maybe i'm just hopeful but uh but i thought that was nice as well well they've certainly yeah. got the rights back to use the, the term mutants you know they couldn't use it through the mcu for a long time because of fox and having the rights to x-men and mutants so for a long time they were what were they referred to as in the mcu it was it wasn't in humans. They didn't. They obviously tried to set that up as well. But there was yeah. there was another word they used to basically say like powerful in some sort of way. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, certainly in in uh, in Age of Ultron and the end of the you know the post credit scene of Winter Soldier, the the twins were shown to be given their powers by one of the by the, the mind gem. That that seemed to be the inference that Hydra were experimenting with the mind gem and and that's what gave them their powers. But we we learned from. We learned from WandaVision episode eight that the mind gem just increased Wanda's powers, yeah, rather than rather than gifting her with those powers. So that's it's interesting. I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't fly in the face of it, and it's happened before. It builds on it, so that that's I think what I'm really enjoying. Yeah, 
I think it was see. enhanced. I think that's what the term they used in the MCU might have been enhanced, enhanced rather enhanced. than mutants, so to speak. But I suppose just the one thing to finish off with, certainly with our discussion on this episode, is tell me more about this White Vision. Come on, West Coast oh. Avengers, tell me more. Well, the White Vision, I guess, to without going into to a lot of detail, whenever whenever Vision was disassembled uh, and and he was rebuilt, uh, the rebuilt Vision lost lost the core of what Vision was, lost his emotion, lost his humanity. His, I suppose. Well, his humanity, I mean, and, and his his personality was was originally based on uh, on Wonder Man, uh, who is his de facto brother, I guess. His brain en- Wonder Man's brain engrams were. Yeah. recorded and and gifted the vision but but yeah he came back without his his humanity and and they depicted that by you know he was he was white and he was emotionless mm-hmm. and and i guess that is reflected in in this episode you know vision has been rebuilt by the military scarlet witch gave him that that spark of power but not that spark of life so i think this is just the emotionless this is just going to be an emotionless weapon mm-hmm. that hayward can use uh against against uh wanda but it's also interesting because whenever you think about it you know across these these 20 20 odd movies the wanda and and vision probably have had in total about 15 minutes each mm-hmm. you know 15 20 minutes so so i think that's the other thing is really seeing those these characters explore a wee bit more uh and get some real real screen time you know uh so yeah it's, it's kind of and paul bettany is just fantastic He's a, he's a great actor. He's, you almost wonder if this is their way of getting him back in with bringing this vision back in some sort of way to just so they can have him in the MCU. I did see one sort of slight theory that, and I don't know how true this would be, but if you remember the end of Age of Ultron, uh, Ultron had lost his left hand. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that this white vision looks at longingly is his left hand. And they're wondering if that's some sort of inference that Ultron somehow lay dormant all this time and might be well, sort of utilized in some sort of way. I mean, Ultron, Ultron Vision was the synthetic body that Ultron was building for himself from Vibranium. Yeah. So could he have finally and, got his way almost, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and the originally, I guess, it was Ultron and Jarvis that, that became a Vision really at the end of the day. Uh, that That's interesting. That's interesting. I mean... I would be very surprised if by the end of this we haven't had because we now know of course that the vision that has been in Westfield is entirely a creation of the Scarlet Witch's memory and, and power mm-hmm. uh, so if we don't see you know probably Photon, Scarlet Witch uh, maybe Agatha and this vision against you know Hayward and his vision and maybe the body of the White Vision combining with Scarlet Witch's ideal of her vision combining in some way to bring back Vision Vision mm-hmm. by the end of it. I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, I think there's some twists and turns yet. And I feel like they have I feel like they have a lot to do in one episode. Yeah, apparently it is a longer episode. But for me, that just means a longer credits at the end. So, uh, But it sounds like what you're talking about is in this last episode, we're going to get a bit of double vision. <laughs> I loved... I love the fact that the White Vision project was called Cataract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it's uh, I, I do enjoy a good discussion about it. I have to say, so uh, maybe I'm enjoying it more than I actually. Maybe, may, maybe, maybe I, I doth protest too much. Who knows? Maybe, maybe you doth indeed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll certainly look forward to episode nine. I'm sure we'll get a good chat about that next week uh, when we are recording as well. So. Just a few other bits and pieces just to sort of bring attention to. So I've been continuing on with my movie a week podcast. I've been watching, or a movie a day, I should say. I've been watching a movie every day, doing a quick review on it. They're very quick podcasts, or 15, 20 minutes max. You know, I don't consider myself Barry Norman, although, you know, I would say 75% of our listeners won't even know who Barry Norman was, but... <laughs> both showing our age that we do know who it is but it's just a bit of fun i've been doing themed weeks and stuff like that the last one was david lynch week this week where i'm letting vicky choose all the movies but i'm probably very soon going to jump into an, a complete mcu watch through a complete batman watch through a dc extended universe watch through that kind of stuff so it's it's just a bit of fun so you can certainly check that out on the uh the podcast network uh, Keith and I also recorded the latest previews podcast there a few days ago. It was a lot of fun going through the March books for release in May. So you can certainly check that out as well. Find that along the podcast network as well. And then just one last thing I wanted to throw out. Uh, and oh my God, Keith is going to be so happy in two weeks time because finally, 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 the Snyder Cup will be out and we can all stop talking about how much we're, we are or are not looking forward to the Snyder Cup. <laughs> but we just wanted to throw, we're not going to talk about it much here. We just wanted to throw out the date for it, which is March 18th. It does look like it's going to be available, I think, through Sky Box Office. That's how Wonder Woman 84 was done. Uh, I know that Snyder himself did confirm that it will be simultaneous worldwide release apart from a couple of countries, I think, but the UK was included in that. But as well as having that on the 18th, on the 19th, Falcon Winter Soldier starts, and I'm very, very much looking forward to that. You know, it, it, I make no secret of the fact that Captain America Winter Soldier still remains my favourite MCU movie, so if they have a similar tone to this, which, why wouldn't they? You know, they have two th two-thirds of the main characters from that one. I think this will be fantastic. So the, the trailers have been great. The camaraderie between the two looks good. The comic timing looks good. And it looks like it just looks like an MCU action movie, but on TV. So, yeah, bring that on all day long. Uh -huh. So yeah, uh, Absolutely. So, yeah, so we're going to, as I say, get to some comics. So, again, we're going for the 10th of February and the 17th of February. So what we'll do is we'll break it down. We'll, we'll do our usual counts for the week of, of how many titles we had, what publishers we're reading. We'll go through some honourable mentions. Again, we'll just whiz through those, just, you know, ongoing titles that have caught our eye or number ones that we've enjoyed, that kind of thing. And then we'll do some deep dives into our pick of the week from those uh, from those weeks. So if we look at 10th of February, I had 26 titles in total. And it was a fairly even split for me. I had 9 DC, 8 Marvel and 9 Indie. How about yourself, Keith? I had 23 titles in total, Alan, so coming up three behind you, as per usual. <laughs> uh, slightly less even split for me. I had four DC, uh, 11 Marvel, seven Indie, and one trade paperback. Well, it wasn't a trade paperback so much as a, as a, a graphic novel. Uh, it, was a, it was a gift, um, mm -hmm. and that was the June, the graphic novel, Volume 1 by Abrams Comic Art and I gotta say, if you have an interest in the movie that that's coming up, mm -hmm. you could do a lot worse than, than than pick up this. It's the first of three graphic novels that are adapting the the original uh, Dune novel, and it was phenomenal. It was very very good. Uh, I'm uh, meeting Martin over the next couple of days to 
to pass it off to him, but you're more than welcome to it. Uh, it was it was just great, just great. Yeah, it'd be some good timing with that as well. Of course, you have June the House of Atreides coming out in comic book form as well, which has been a pretty pretty stellar series so far on top of that. So, you know, I think 2020 was going to be the year of Dune, you know, reaching the mass market. You know, it's obviously such a revered work within, you know, the science fiction and fantasy and, you know, certainly in our geekdom, shall we say. But I think it was going to be the year that it reached the mass market through the movie, but various delays and, you know, obviously with coronavirus and cinemas closing and so forth. It's the kind of movie I think it needs a cinema release. It's a big movie, big effects, big world building. So I think they'll probably hold back on that. I mean, I believe that that was one of the movies that HBO Max had signed to be exclusive or something. And then Legendary, who co-financed June, just came in and went, I don't think so. We will sue the life out of you. This <laughs> yeah, is getting released yeah. on a cinema screen. So, <laughs> And it needs it. It needs it. Yeah, well, that's it. You know, So something hopefully to look forward to later this year uh, in the cinemas. Fingers crossed they open soon. Uh, I am missing trips to the cinema. Big style. Big so, style. yeah, so we'll go through some honorable mentions first of all. Again, we'll just go through it through um, Publisher. Uh, we'll break it down into DC, Marvel, and then indie books. So, so some of the books we've been enjoying, uh, we were, we've both been enjoying Rorschach. We, we've been talking about how this has been a, a slow burn of a series, but it, it seems to be getting some traction now with, uh, with number five. Ah, big style. I mean, cover, cover is absolutely gorgeous. We've got the, a view of the the Watchmen version of Vietnam, uh, which of course included uh, included the Watchmen, and there's a lovely view of the sun setting, uh, a lovely tragic view of the sun setting, and uh, Doctor Manhattan, the giant version of Doctor Manhattan, you know, leading the, the helicopters uh, to to attack a a Viet, a Viet Cong outpost, and you know it's just that whole you know the flight of the Valkyries, you know you could just you could just hear it when you hear like that it, cover. Yeah against the against the red but you had mentioned earlier on about the back cover as well alan yeah that's it i saw this uh, thread on twitter that someone said for comic stores if they want to push uh rorschach a little bit more maybe turn the covers around and have them facing out towards the public so the back of this one has a really great cover of uh the comedian carrying someone out of the jungle big explosion behind him carrying a gun and then it, it says some people need masks some don't and some of that uh languages in black some of it's in white but i went back and looked at the other covers for rorschach and they are beautiful and and i can kind of see their point uh a little bit uh, i mean i suppose that's the worst part about bagging and boarding comics you don't see the back cover yeah you know it's uh but yeah i mean this this issue five great i mean rorschach has tried to to kill the leading contender to unseat president redford he's a governor by the name of turley, turley. Yeah. uh and he's got he's got a lot to say for himself so he believes that Redford's people were behind the hit, but the, our, our, our protagonist, the detective who's investigating the case, isn't quite so sure of that particular conspiracy theory. So, you know, in order to prove Turley wrong, he has to figure out how Rorschach and Laura got so close to doing what they were doing and, and how that links back to this artist, you know, uh, who, who, who drew the Steve Ditko-esque artist who drew uh, Pontius Pirate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and all in that, you know, we have the the the, the, the governor's background, which includes, uh, I guess, a t- an entanglement with a, a masked man who goes by the name of the comedian. Heard uh, of him before, haven't we? Yeah, haven't we just? But it's just like you say, Alan. I mean, I'm starting. To, this had a slow start, I feel, but I'm starting to think that this is just a great series because every issue that's released, I think this this is the best issue so far. Yeah. But 
I mean, isn't that Tom King, the slow burning trick? Very much so. I mean, I think Tom King thrives in the whole 12 issue format. He, you know, whether it's Mr. Miracle or whether it was the original vision for Marvel or, you know, he, he loves this 12 issue format. You know, Batcat's going to be the same, which we'll, we'll get to a little later on. So, but yeah, I mean, the, the story's great. I think the art is getting better with every issue. I mean, that big double page spread of one of Turley's. Um, rallies at the start with just endless sea of people behind him you know holding up all their signs vote turley and all that kind of yeah, stuff yeah you know and i think jorge fornez is doing fantastic work here the, uh yeah and yep. and also a little mention the dave shirt as well because the colors really pop whether it's those mm. bright explosions in vietnam or it's the sort of rainy city back alleys outside of bars and stuff so yeah. brilliant a lot, of, a lot of layers here both in the writing and in the art yeah. Uh, so there are, you know, it's it's really it's really phenomenal. So, are you seeing the links to the Watchmen TV series yet? Not massively, I have to say. I know that Tom King has said that that mm-hmm. he considers a canon. So uh, I yeah. haven't noticed anything too obvious so far. I must say. No, I mean the the, the key might be masks. The key might be masks. I don't yeah. know, but yeah. Keeping an eye at this. Yeah, great, great book. Just keeps getting better. Yeah, so I was Rorschach number five. Next honorable mention is one that either gets an honorable mention or a pick of the week every single time. This is Future State Dark Detective. Uh, <laughs> easily, for me, the best title of Future State. Uh, and I think I think Dan, Dan Moore's art has a lot to do with that. Yeah, I think in general, there's, there's something we'll get on to a little bit later as well because we're, we've got an honorable mention for Nick's Batman for next week, but... The re- main reason I think this is the strongest title so far is A, the, the front-loaded story, which, as you alluded to, is Dan Moore Art and Mariko Tamaki uh, writing, is superb, but the backup stories have been brilliant Ooh. as well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you've, I mean... you've, you've Grifter in this one, you know, Matthew Rosenberg, uh, Carman DJ Domenico on art, and that story is just as good. Like, that's good enough to not be a backup story. That's good enough to be its own story. It is. It is. So... Yeah, with this one, it's it's more stuff with Bruce, you know, trying to lay low. He's trying to understand more how the magistrate systems work. He's trying to capture some of their tech, which unwittingly was actually provided by Wayne Enterprises as well. There's a little meeting with the next Batman in this one, which I thought was pretty cool. It was good to have that crossover as well. But as you say, the, the art is just like Dan Mora to me is like a modern day Jim Lee. It's just the art is yeah, gorgeous. That's... That's a really good. Uh, that's a really good comparison, actually. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. This is the the best of the Future State books. Uh, love the backup. I love Grifter. I love Grifter because whenever you talk about Jim Lee, Jim Lee created Grifter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's a there's a wee nod to you. Uh, great backup story, and that I mean that really shows the, the like the rough underbelly of of Future State Gotham, yeah. uh, and tie, I guess in some ways ties in with the next Batman as well. But but yeah, the the lead story to Maggie's story. You know, of the presumed dead Bruce Wayne racing to unlock the secret of the fascist surveillance panopticon that plagues the city uh, is great. And he's got he's got the next Batman in tow this time as well. So that, uh, you know, that's something. Team up of two Batman. And neither of them are Dick Grayson. That in itself is a shame. But, but yeah, great stuff. And then uh, probably the, the title that's most closely linked to Dark Detective in Future State has been Catwoman by Ram V and Otto Schmidt. So we got the second issue of this this week as well. Again, yeah. really, really strong. Absolutely, closely, as you say, closely, closely linked, and actually, in some ways, it's it's sort of a prequel to Dark Detective in, in a slight way. It yeah. falls well, 
I mean, I guess the start of Dark Detective tells the story of why Bruce, Lee, Bruce Wayne is presumed dead, mm-hmm. and this this falls between that and and the actual core story of of Future State. But yeah, this is a this is a this is a bullet train heist by by Catwoman and her uh, and her her the, the strays. Yeah, her strays. That's right. Uh, so she's teamed up with Onomatopoeia, who is a Kevin Smith creation, making her way towards the car carrying a, a ghost of her past and uh, Gotham's as well. I mean. Uh, and and that's where Bruce Wayne comes in. Tally Al Ghul's involved here. Uh, big reunion between Batman and Catwoman, and uh, yeah, I just this is. I'm glad you recommended this to me. It's just it's it's great. It's it's up there with Dark Detective as as one of the best Future State entries. I think um, action packed and and really tight and just keeps you keeps you hooked. Yeah, and and you can't beat a nice we love triangle scene as well. You know, Talia will always be scorned that Bruce picks this. You know this small petty thief as she looks at it, as opposed to you know the daughter of the demon but uh-huh. uh he only has eyes for selena when he sees her when uh when they get rescued so yeah love future state catwoman and uh and ram v on writing and otto schmidt on on art and i know ram v was writing catwoman before this yeah he wrote the first or the last few issues leading in the future state and then he's taken it in a brand new direction when it comes back after future state which the releases have started this week sort of post future state so I love his stuff. Like he, he did a really good run on Catwoman, and Catwoman was never a character I cared about outside of Batman. You know, I was more than happy to see the character pop into the main title. But I've been on that Catwoman run ever since Batman Fifty. Joel Jones right. did a great job, but now Ram V for me has taken it to another level as well. So I'll uh, I'll certainly be sticking with that. And then just one last DC book I wanted to throw a bit of love for, which was American Vampire nineteen seventy six, and this is book five. In traditional Snyder style, this was announced as a nine-issue miniseries. It's now a ten-issue miniseries. That man always needs an extra issue to wrap stuff up. But when it's as good as it is, I am more than happy to continue with that. Uh, this was the sequel that we we thought we were never going to get. American Vampire ended really well with Second Cycle. I would have it would have been more than a great ending as it was. But this has been another great series, so it has showing some of the characters aged a bit more. You've still got the main vampire through through line of Skinner Sweet, who has actually lost his powers at this point. And this is a title I go on about that much that Keith is determined to buy a massive omnibus once it all ends. And- and I mean, I, I could have been wrong, but I thought I saw Snyder say something about that. He this did, week. yeah. He said there was going to be a new collected edition once this was over. So the only thing I would say is that the American Vampire Omnibus that's already out, which contains the first volume and then the follow-up sequel, Second Cycle, is already a thick bad boy. If you're going to add another ten issues to it, it might just be a bit too big. Like think of that, <laughs> think of that big He-Man one that you have that is huge. Yeah, yeah. The big He-Man omnibus that I know you really enjoyed. So, yes, but yeah, uh-huh. American Vampire, great, great series, highly recommended. I would say it's not really new reader friendly because there's it, it's built so much on the stuff from the first two volumes. But definitely search it out from the start if you want a good sort of a new take on vampires, if you will, throughout history. So, yeah, that is that, uh, DC. Yeah, I'm really, yeah, I, I, I'm exactly that. I've I read the first issue. I think I got it as an image first. Stephen King was involved, so I was on board. Uh, I never followed up after that. I wish I had done, and now I'm going to pay the price by having to buy one or two big giant omnibuses. But yeah, it was basically Snyder. From what I remember, was Snyder won a short story competition that Stephen King hosted, and then one of the prizes was that you were able to pitch an idea to Stephen King, and Snyder pitched this, and King went, "That's great. I'm going to co-write the first five issues with you." 
So the very first arc of American Vampire is written by Snyder and Stephen King. And it's really interesting if you go back, because Stephen King's name appears at the top above Snyder's, because obviously he was up and coming at the time. Whereas now Snyder's very much sort of comic book royalty, although Stephen King is just royalty full stop. So, yeah, that's the DC side of things. Uh, obviously, you had quite a heavy Marvel week this week, so... Yeah, yeah, and I hope you'll, I hope you'll be able to pitch in on some of these. Um, picking up with Eternals number two, which is one of the strongest books of the week, as far as I'm concerned. It was, it was well up there as a, as a possible pick for me, um, next, to, next really to what I did pick. Eternals, obviously created by Jack Kirby, and under the uh, under the, the really masterful, um, I guess, ownership currently of uh, Kieran Gillen, Isad Rubik, and Matthew Wilson and Colors. So, I mean, I guess you can't say it better than 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 Kieran Gillen has said it here at the start. Eternals are eternal. That's the point. If they die, they resurrect. Zurus, the Prime Eternal, has been murdered, possibly by one of their own. Murder is a small thing for an Eternal, but it's certainly rude. Icarus and Sprite follow the murderer's tracks to Titanos, the Eternal's fallen capital, where time runs amok. Also running amok, Thanos, the Mad Titan. So we all know, we all know Thanos pretty well. Um, so we get the, the the spectacle of of Icarus versus Thanos in the heart of a, a city that is sort of, I guess, riven through and mad with with time. Mm-hmm. Um, Gillen is he's crafting a, a cosmic murder mystery for a society of people that never die. I mean, Kieran Gillen's one of the best around, uh, you know, at the minute. And as I think his high quality wordage is more than matched by Isad Ribic, uh, with Matt Wilson on colors. And the visuals here are, are massive. I mean, they're, they are the required epic proportions to tell a story about the Eternals and the, they sort of, I don't know, the, the, the colors and the, and the pencils just evoke something really ancient, like a real ancient, epoch mm-hmm. uh yeah so so it, it's we start off with that that action-packed battle and eventually it goes from there and eventually we're introduced to cersei uh reintroduced the source of cersei cersei used to be you know one of the avengers during the during the 90s during the black knight leather jacket wearing phase uh and and cersei is a planner she has a plan and what it is i don't know but i'm really looking forward to uh to finding out maybe maybe this is the best looking book on the shelves at the minute what do you reckon yeah i mean you can't go wrong with these sad rubik on art you know did such great stuff with conan did great stuff with thor yeah it's a beautiful looking book i i'm enjoying it to a degree so far i still don't know an awful lot about the eternals but i'm i know i'm in safe hands with karen gillen on writing duties and world building and so forth so it, it strikes an odd tone for me because sometimes it's quite comedic and then other times it seems really serious yeah. and dynamic yeah. so it's it's just sort of towing that line at the moment, just finding its voice. But again, you know, Kieran Gillen made me love Warhammer, so you know the man's capable of anything. <laughs> I would say Warhammer forty k. Warhammer forty k. Marnius Calgar, or is it Marnius? But that's a whole uh, other discussion. <laughs> well, quite, and uh, and that's not all. He's on. He's on a. He's on a fair bit of other stuff as well. Uh, all of which we're reading and loving. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. So. Uh, following up, uh, Eternals. Uh, we've got the first uh, X book of the week for me, uh, Excalibur 18. So, Teeny Howard and uh, Marcus Toe on art, and um, Excalibur search post uh, X of Swords search for Captain Britain has come to an end, but they're just not sure if the Betsy they've brought home is their Betsy, uh, and there's some strange things happening. So, I mean, Teeny Howard was one of the, the architects of, of X of Swords, and she's continuing to do a great job of building Marvel's magical mutant mythology 
um, as well as sort of taking a wee bit of a sideways look at how Krakoa works uh, societally and, and, and physically. And I, I mean, Excalibur's a really interesting team. You've got Mr. and Mrs. X, Rogan Gambit. You've got Jubilee and her baby slash dragon, Shogo. And you've got Richter, who formerly was a new mutant uh, and, and, and an X-Force member, whose character has been developed massively. Um, and you still feel the, the weight of Apocalypse uh, through Richter. You know, he's been reimagined as nearly like a, a magic-wielding druid, uh, a druid being, a, I guess, a, an earth worshipper, um, and that really fits Richter's power set. And then, of course, we've got, we've got Captain Britain, or do we? Uh, a lot of links to Otherworld and, and, uh, and, and uh, Saturnine and, and all of those sorts of things. So, yeah, I just I think Teeny Hard is, is a fantastic writer, and she's doing, doing great work with this. Uh, not not one of the X books you're on, I don't think, Alan. No, uh, again, I've I've been collecting the Dawn of X books uh, as we go. I am a little behind in some of them, but I've been collecting those volumes as they go. And Dawn of X, of course, is you know them putting together all the issues of the Dawn of X line. You know your Excaliburs, your X Men, your X Forces, etc. So so I am collecting them. I just I know there's going to be a day where or a couple of days where I'll just like tear through a whole pile of those volumes you know i did get that rather glorious x of swords uh volume this week as well which i'm i'm looking forward to but but i'd say yeah. the x books certainly another marvel one that definitely deserves attention and again is close to pick of the week as it is every single month that comes out uh, you have the latest daredevil which was daredevil 27 so of course chips at Arsky on writing you've got art duties being shared this time by marco Cicchetto and mike hawthorne and this continues to be linked to keenan black and this was basically another one of those dual narrative ones. So you've got Electra as Daredevil out on the streets of New York and the streets of Hell Kitchen trying to help. She's trying to help this child whose mother's been overtaken by uh, by null symbiotes. And then at the same time, you've got this great story, which is all about whether Matt Murdock will accept sort of null into him, so to speak, whether he will be able to resist the urge to be all powerful <laughs> like null. And it's, uh, so it's many a, great it's, moments. It's a classic Matt Murdock, Daredevil, Catholic guilt, crisis of faith. Yeah, uh, you know, just uh, just pitted against like a symbiote god. Uh, it's it's classic. I mean, this is this is a historic run on Daredevil, isn't it? Really? Oh yeah, it just gets better and better and better, and and it's just it's the thing about it is like obviously comic issues can be relatively short, you know, thirty pages, whatever, including ads, that kind of thing. But what's great about Zdarsky's Daredevil is there's so many great moments in such a short space of time. You know, you have that. That face-off between Null just looking threatening and Daredevil, and you know Daredevil's all hooked up to the electric chair, and then the the other inmate who was sort of quasi kind to Matt earlier pulls the pulls the lever so that he's able to electrocute Null, and you know he, it, it's just a brilliant book. But then it, it gives you those great moments, but then hits you with this big gut punch at the end as uh, as Electra finds the little girl in the streets, and she's sort of saying like, "Why is this happening? Mom's dead." And then Electra's actually showing some sympathy, which is slightly outside of character for Electra as well. But she's hugging the little girl, saying, "I'm sorry." So that's that's why these books are so good because Zdarsky can really straddle that line between big feelings, humor, and great action. And as you say, it's a daredevil run for the ages. We're we're saying this till we're blue in the face. You know, you you just have to listen to us. In this and one. you know, the other thing he's doing is he's doing a great job of tying into King and Black while not putting his own story arc on hold. Yeah. Uh, so and and you've got Electra learning how to be Daredevil by sort of realizing maybe that Matt is right in some of the things that maybe she didn't understand before. Now now that she's walking a mile in his shoes, you know that sort of way. So yeah, yeah, it's good stuff, great stuff. 
Um, another uh, another X book from me, uh, second X book. Uh, I hope you're not tired of X books just yet. <laughs> uh, X Force Seventeen by uh, Ben Percy and uh, Joshua Kasara. And this was this was a spotlight on Kid Omega, Quentin Quire, who was a character that was created during Grant Morrison's run on X Men. And to me, he was a character who was created to be hated. Uh, but this spotlight was wonderfully done that it so wonderfully done that I sort of came to understand Quentin a wee bit more, uh, you know, the egotistical little shit that he is. And, you know, it's, it's really a masterclass in, in narrowing focus to develop a character in, in the best possible way, as well as, I guess, maybe introducing them to the first time for post X of Sword readers, you know, maybe readers that, that jumped on for X of Swords. Uh, Kasara's art, art is 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 what I like. It's brilliantly clean, and you know Percy's dividing his time between this and Wolverine and Year Zero, but this still continues to be one of the one of the strongest X books, uh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I certainly remember at the start when I was trying to keep up with the single issues that uh, X Force was always the standout for me. It still always amazed me that the big revelation about um, Xavier was handled through X Force and not X Men. If you remember, yeah. like at the very start, that was it was the issue where uh, Xavier got shot and killed, I think, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. In issue mm-hmm. one. So it was a kind of case where if you said to people, just read X Men, you'll be fine. No, no, no. Hick- Hickman has bigger plans than that, shall we say? Yeah, but, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff still unfolding in X Men, though, I have to say. Uh, what else have you got down there? Uh, of course, you have your, your fortnightly honorable mention for The Wonderful World of Peter Parker. Ah, uh, yeah, I mean. Nick Spencer uh, still, you know, doing great stuff in this on this arc uh, post Last Remains, and uh, Marcello Ferreira on art. Uh, this particular issue, we've got the return of Mister Negative, uh, and he's after Martin Lee, which is interesting because Martin Lee is Mister Negative's alter ego, and you rarely see them in the same place at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, Spidey is still battered and bruised and mentally just absolutely mentally exhausted from all the kindred stuff, and with Aunt May involved in this as the Mr. Negative Demon and his uh, his 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 followers attack the feast center which Aunt May runs. Peter Peter's not going to stand for anything else being taken away from him, not least his beloved aunt. Uh, there's no cliffhanger here. There's no there's no big shocks. There's no there's nothing massively groundbreaking. There's just really solid storytelling and solid character work with Spencer, you know, showing again that that both he and Spider-Man can switch gears so quickly between light and dark. I suppose that's interesting because that's maybe why Mr. Negative's the villain now I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just about now, after all of the last Remain stuff, I'm nearly ready for a wee bit more light. <laughs> I have to say, I'm, I'm ready for that for that switch. Um, and I think we're maybe getting that with what's, with what's ahead. But uh, Marcello Ferreira's art is, is absolutely solid as well some great character moments and the art really drives the the character interactions and, and and the character emotions that you see in those faces so yeah amazing spider-man just brilliant flagship title and then of Spence, course yeah and then of course there's an inevitable sojourn to a galaxy far far away with one of their titles <laughs> yes that is that is right are you on spider-man are you still on i haven't been on spider-man for a little while it lost me at 2099 and I've picked up the trade now for Last Remains because I've heard good things. So yeah. I'm going to give the trade of it a read. But it's just 2099, it lost me a little bit. And uh, yeah, the, it just I had to cull a title or two. Mm, well, I, don't I, think, know, I, would... I think I was spoiled by Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man being so good. And I found Amazing Spider-Man a little inconsistent. 
Uh, okay, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I would, if I were you, I would, I would get back on amazing. It is, it is the flagship title, like so, worth worth picking up. But uh, you're not on Star Wars either, because I know you're not a Star Wars guy. Nope. No, but <laughs> Star Wars. Darth all Vader. the issues are in my house. Vicky has them all. I should probably yeah, read them yeah, at some point. Yeah, and Vicky would tell you that Star Wars Darth Vader uh, is absolutely phenomenal. Um, Greg Pak on writing. Uh, Raphael Ienko on. Uh, on, on on art but and and 10 here the emperor were continuing the the challenge the trials of vader and the emperor has the emperor has continued to punish and challenge darth vader for his perceived transgressions uh in a, in a story arc called into the fire so vader has has passed the eye of the webbish bog and learned the route to the emperor's most closely guarded secrets which tie into a series of novels actually star wars mm-hmm. novels and we know that all of the Star Wars stuff is is canon, um, so yeah, I mean Greg Pak just continues to to mail the, I guess the the classic Star Wars with the the, the prequels in a in a harmony that I don't think we've seen before between those two sets of movies or those two sets of narratives. And in this one issue, we go from massive space battles with ship crunching monstrosities to Darth Vader facing his past, and it's all canon. It's all adding value to the to the events of Return of the Jedi. The Star Wars books, certainly Star Wars and, and Darth Vader, the lead books are strong. But, I mean, I think this Edges is the strongest and I'm really looking forward to to this War of the Bounty Hunters uh, crossover that's that's going to be coming up and, and, and taking in all these books. Yeah. Yeah, you never uh, know. That might be the, the, the event that maybe gets me into Star Wars a little bit more. We shall see. Good enough, good enough. And, and one last x book for me uh if you don't mind not at all uh sword number three um sword is al ewing and uh, valerio shidi's uh x book but it's it's kind of an x book with a difference it's slightly removed from the x books but you know when it's the i guess it's the the sentient word observation da 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 it's the space version of shield you know it's now run by 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 mutants from kokoa uh Ewing's writing shines as always. Valerio Shidi's pencils are an absolute sight to behold. And this issue sort of spotlights a character called Manifold, um, who is well, he's known as a he's he's Swords Quintition. He's known as a as a a teleporter, but he's much much more than that. He doesn't teleport. He folds space uh, to do what he wants it to do, and he, he talks to space and convinces it to do what he wants it to do, which is a real interest in taking the power. But as Null is, is taking over Earth, um, you know, I guess Manifold makes a a journey across the universe and back uh, with multiple artists uh, taking duties to, to describe where he is and where he lands. So if you weren't a fan of Manifold before, uh, you will be after this. Uh, it's just a, it's, it's, it's a great, great, great issue. It's a decent King and Black tie-in, sort of. Um, but yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Sword is only three issues in, so if I were you, I would pick up the first the first two issues, then grab this one and just get on board. I actually do have the first couple because I've been collecting all of King and Black just so I had like the whole saga, so to speak. And I think Sword started with number one being tie-in, didn't it? So uh, I do actually have the first couple issues, so... I will, Good. I will Good. get to it at some point. But uh, yeah, so that's the Marvel side of things. And then just a, a few quick honorable mentions in the, in the indie world. The first one up, actually, we chatted a little bit before we started recording. And this was close to being a pick of the week for one of us. But 
Undiscovered Country 12 hit, so this is the end of the second arc. And yeah, it just it, it went in the overdrive with this issue. I thought it was the most action-packed issue so far. I think it started off in such a creepy way with all the, the clones of the main characters, you know, that mm-hmm. were being yep. sent out to give a decision about unity. So I love this part here where all of our main characters are actually all cocooned in and uh, they're talking about the tech in unity. And one of them says, I thought you loved Dr. Jane's tech. The tech is amazing. I'm less excited about getting murdered by a dried up old centipede woman who decorates her house with infant brains. <laughs> yeah, it kind of covers it, doesn't it? Yeah. It's uh, yeah. I mean, I I love this this issue. This was a slightly chunkier issue as well, wasn't it? It felt it. It definitely felt an oversized issue to me. Um. So yeah, this this concludes the second arc, as we have the Destiny Man man from the first arc manifesting in Unity City. Sacrifices are made. Our heroes learn, I guess, some hard truths about their mission. I mean, I just thought it it was just a a really stunning, really, really intense finish to the second arc. I felt like felt like this issue had as much action in one issue as the previous 11 issues have had between them and that's saying a lot that's yeah. saying a lot because it's been action-packed but yeah absolutely just a, just a hugely hugely action-packed issue but it still delivered what it needed to to deliver it still uh, answered some of our questions posed some more questions built the word uh knocked us through you know further along the spiral uh yeah very very close to being my my pick of the week uh for sure i, I love this book I think it's 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 great. It's yeah, great I mean, book. it's it, it even makes some interesting statements on America. You know, you've got this great sort of fight sequence in the middle uh, involving the Destiny Man, and you know, as as any villain will always do, he's monologuing away. But they're obviously talking about America, and he says technology has always been at the forefront of this nation. You got that much right, but the inventions that made America what it was, that made us feared, that made us obeyed, were our weapons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah and uh, that just that image of him loading the the icbms into his six gun yeah uh that was that was that was a that was a symbol in itself but yeah i mean the charlotte's realization through their parents that she may have been the cause of the of the sky virus yeah uh was a was an interesting one and i think i'm starting to work out what's going on here uh you know with uncle sam or uncle sam's <laughs> uh you know and, and and yeah i just yeah very very good issue very yeah, good issue. i think that last page as well just recharged the narrative with you know obviously then moving on to the next zone so to speak with the whole yeah. pirate ship and adventure and yeah just a really really great issue that i thought a really really great in the second arc the second trade of that won't be too far away then at this point mm-hmm. uh and then just a couple of other ones one from you one from me so what was your last honorable mention indie wise uh, was Scout's Honor number two from Aftershock. Um, so this is number two. It's the second uh, issue uh, from uh, David uh, Pepos and Luca Casalanguida uh, on art. So this, uh, this is a post-apocalyptic book. Um, and ever since the bombs fell and the skies have turned to nuclear fire, the Ranger Scouts, as in the Boy Scouts of America, have built their religion upon their most sacred law always be prepared but uh kit who is our protagonist here uh has discovered a chilling secret in an abandoned bunker about the the history of the ranger scouts and uh that's when a gang of murderous highwaymen breach this the ranger scout compound and uh and, and things all sort of kick off really interesting our protagonist kit is female and as a ranger scout and as a a ranger is going to be elevated up the ranger scout but 
the problem is that females aren't allowed to join the ranger scouts and uh, she's you know she's disguised and, and so forth so there's a there's a whole narrative there um but yeah it's just it's the first issue was decent but this really solidified it with me for to you know building the momentum of the first issue and and, and just taking it and building on it mm-hmm. um you know the the ranger scouts history the, the the history behind the apocalypse is being revealed uh, it just continues to explore and unpeel the layers of this sort of post-apocalyptic world that is is being built so that right up my street world building post-apocalyptic uh be prepared <laughs> all good yeah, interestingly, I have issue two of that ready to go, but Diamond sort of uh, didn't send us enough copies of issue one, and then I reordered some more, and they said, yeah, yeah, that we've got those in in stock in Diamond US. We'll get those shipped over for you soon, and I'm still waiting on number one coming, so uh, no. I will be getting to it at some point. But <coughs> the other one I just wanted to throw a little bit of attention out for is uh, another AWA title. This one is called Casual Fling. Uh, this is written by Jason Starr with art by Dalibor Talahitch. The reason I wanted to throw a little bit of attention to this is because I one of the mantras of Coffee and Heroes is always there's a comic for everyone. This is a comic this is like the comic equivalent of something like Fatal Attraction. You know, it's a story that is all to do about manipulation, betrayal, sex games and revenge. It's set in the world of big business, it's set in the world of oh <clears throat> pardon me, of a bored housewife who's getting a little bit of attention from the interesting, mysterious international businessman who's making a, uh, a deal with the firm she works in. And it's a very adult story. And that in itself, I think, is, is <coughs> pardon me, worth pointing out simply because it again shows the variety of comics. It's going to be a four-issue miniseries. And I just found it really engaging. It it would remind you of something like Eyes Wide Shut as well. And Again, it's a case of, you know, we could get someone come in that goes, I have no interest in superheroes, I have no interest in zombies and apocalypses and sci-fi, and you could hand them this and maybe actually get them interested in the medium. Just really well-told story, really, really cool art. I like the artist a lot, Dalibor Talahitch. I believe they did the art for Hotel as well off the top of my head, so seems to be an AWA um stable artist, so to speak. So, yeah, just thought it was a, a nice little shout-out. I, I got to love the... Uh, tagline for it on the front cover as well which is sex is never safe <laughs> so uh yeah it's, it's a little bit smutty so to speak but i just liked that it was so different to absolutely everything else i've been reading so, yeah i mean uh, i think awr like in those those wee bylines like uh year zero death is the new normal <laughs> <laughs> how much did they know what was coming in the world <laughs> oh my god Anyway, uh, so yeah, those are uh, honourable mentions. They didn't quite make it to the top of the pile, but we are going to share with you now what did make it to the top of the pile. So it was an interesting one this week in that it was an indie clean sweep. We do have a little document we always prepare that will allow us to, you know, check other people's, what are their picks of the week, make sure we're not picking the same stuff. Again, Paddy unfortunately couldn't make it tonight, but his pick of the week was going to be Scarantude number four, which is an IDW title. My pick of the week is a Boom Comics title, uh, which is called Orcs, number one. So this is written and illustrated by Christine Larson. So it's released by Boom, or more specifically, Boom have an imprint called Kaboom, which is specifically aimed at all ages uh, stories. So recently I've been enjoying a lot of all ages comics. I think some of this comes after chatting with uh, David M. Boer and Drew Zucker, who are the creators of Canto. And what David said and I'm in total agreement with it, is 
all ages books aren't just for kids. There's something for everyone in them if they're executed well. And I was really, really surprised, like really delighted to say that Orcs is cut from the same cloth as our favorite little Tin Knight. Straight out of the gate, there's some really clever storytelling to play here. There, it, it kicks off with an opening story about a hard-traveling orc called Drod, who craves adventure on the open seas. He hears this mysterious song over the waves, and you know anybody who knows their their sort of fiction and their narratives knows about the siren songs that you know brings in men from the shore and you know manipulates them and so forth. So he comes across the siren song and he's entranced, but. When she realizes he can live with her song because the song usually drives people mad, she tells him he can never leave and sets up all these obstacles. And we're set up, we're treated to this wonderfully charming action sequence as Drod shows how capable and resourceful he can be. There's one point in it where he just throws his sword at, at the siren's head and it just the handle clunks off her head. But just as we think this is the narrative we will be following, we actually cut to an elderly orc woman who is actually recanting this tale to a bunch of children orcs. And it's this society of characters we will be following, although I really do hope we return to Drawd somewhere down the line. But again, it's clever storytelling and world building with stories within stories. So the, the tone of the comic, it's just plain fun and adventurous. It explores a lot of fantasy elements and archetypes that older readers will recognize right away. But what's clever about it is it actually manages to bring it down a little bit to the point where younger readers will fully get it as well. You know, there's a lot of effort placed into letting us know that orcs are not just some evil grunt race. You know, in most literature, you think of anything from Lord of the Rings to Harry Potter to, you know, Warhammer. Orcs are evil from birth and always against the so-called good guys. So showing them in their society and in general presenting us with likable, almost cheeky characters is, is very smart. You know, speaking of those likable characters, they're all very energetic and brimming with personality. They come across as, as very individual as well, each with unique voices and senses of humour. The two main characters you follow in it seem to be Utah and Bog, who are always squabbling with each other. You know, you can feel a real history to this relationship, and it's established really quickly. The dialogue in general is actually brilliant, and it's very self-aware of the genre they're in. There's a lot of little cheeky nods to this, uh, to this genre. The art itself, I think some people might see as a little bit simple, you know, but I think it fits the tone of the book perfectly, with the simpler art meaning that the orcs are presented in a much less scary way, you know, it's not all spikes and shoulder pads and big, you know, teeth coming out, that kind of thing. You know, the eyes and mouths are exaggerated, but again, this adds the personality. But a lot of this issue is set up with introducing us to this world, so the plot takes a bit of a backseat as characters are established. We do have a story just starting to begin at the end of the issue about a group of misfit orcs embarking on an adventure and they venture into elf territory. Now if you know your fantasy, elves are always the good guys, orcs are always the bad guys. I think we're going to see a little flip of that. And they also face off against some small fuzzy adversaries in it as well. For me anyway, the bottom line is this is an excellent first issue. It's aimed at kids and adults. It's fun, it's charming and, has, and it's full of characters to root for. And the main takeaway I had was it's about time the orcs were the hero of the story. So, uh, yeah, just a really brilliant little book. It was not heavily ordered in the store. And this makes me think that this could be another Canto scenario kicking off here because it was the same. No one was on Canto. Word of mouth spread. The, the tone was consistent. The issues were consistent and people got interested. So really recommend this. If you've got a younger reader in your life, you know, I, I think this would be the perfect bedtime story it would be one where 
you know, mum or dad would be reading it to their kids and they're both enjoying it, so to speak. So, yeah, just very surprising. Really, really good first issue. And my pick of the week for the 10th. Didn't read it, but I believe I will based on that. Um, uh, it's really interesting because there's like a there's a movement, I guess, there's a, a socially aware movement within within Dungeons and Dragons or the, the writers and players of Dungeons and Dragons that that certain races that have been classically known as as evil or stupid or you know that have certain archetypes mm-hmm. uh, are are those, those I guess those racial limits yeah are being are being removed and and maybe they're trying to give uh, give different races that maybe are, are have been stereotyped in some ways yeah. more more options you know so that's that's interesting ties in nicely with that and but more, yeah that's yeah. more de- great more depth to them you know and a different yeah. view of them instead of them just being that stereotypical like anything that orcs are in you know i just think orcs i think grunts i think i think lord of the rings you know is the perfect example i go to you know and and exactly yep. they're they're the first line of defense if you will for the evil bad guy because he knows they're going to have to go through all that to get to him. But yeah, just a, a brilliantly charming little book. And uh, yeah, definitely my pick of the week for this week. <laughs> so how about yourself? What have you got? Uh, I see another indie title coming up. You do indeed. And not only another indie title, but another boom title. Um, so I have got, uh, for my pick of the week for the 10th of February, The Last Witch, number two by Connor McCreary and VV Glass. And, oh, uh, this is. Are you on this book, Alan? Have you read? The I Last Witch? have the first two ready to go. Yeah, I, I haven't uh, read them yet, but I have got them ready to go. For for fans of Wind, Canto, Bone, yeah, I mean it's 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 just it's great stuff. So the issue two continues the tale of Sorsha uh, and and uh, to some extent her brother and her grandmother. So. We were introduced to Sorsha and her family as as well, I guess, as the danger they all faced uh, in the first issue. It also hinted at several other major revelations down the road, and and it made for a really solid, solid start uh, to the series. So I was I was looking forward to this, and I I would say I was fairly I was fairly invested uh, in it, even after the first issue. Um, and and this issue too, you sort of really, I think, delivered in that anticipation and really built on on what's going on here. So, so Sorsha has been captured uh, by the witch known as uh, as the Kalik, uh, and 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 through this, she discovers the true power of her mysterious mark or or tattoo. But even though she saved her brother Bram from the witch, she must grapple with truth about her family and. A, shocking connection to an enemy even more dangerous than they they had imagined so this the last witch it's it's oversized so it's it's about 30 pages of of story each issue so it was just i mean the second issue was just brilliant as the adventure continues and her and her brother find themselves embroiled in this this story of led you know legends of witches and, and 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 all sorts of dark dark things um there is there's a real celtic Irish fairy tale thing going on uh, in this book, you know, witches and 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 and, and spells and adventures and uh, fairies, yeah, definitely fairies. Uh, but but there's also a a, dis- a discovery of self and a, and a coming of age sort of thing going on 
there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff you recognize but it just takes it and sort of turns it on its head a wee bit um so the stakes the stakes in the first issue were all a childish adventure the stakes in the second issue are are much much higher life and death and uh you know we see Sorsha's bravery as she sort of pursues a route that would scare would scare many of us uh you know that any of us would would turn away from it's that the world is a world where magic exists but not in a friendly sort of a way and uh, there's a lot of creepiness a lot of sense of dread um there's some real there's some real horror a kid gets eaten in this issue a kid gets eaten it's Cooked something killing the children eaten. uh no it's <laughs> much more um it's much more hansel and gretel you know the witch looking to put the kids in the oven you know, mm-hmm. well, this this witch isn't just looking at doing it. She actually goes ahead and does it, and then and then gets uh, she she has her cake and eats it, as it were, has her kid and eats it. Um, but yes, it's 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 really interesting. There's there's a lot of cool relationships, most notably, well, there's notably between Sorsha and her her brother Bram, her younger brother, but also between Sorsha and her grandmother, who is a grandmother reminds me very much of Grandma Ben from. Uh, from bone mm-hmm. uh, i mean she's a she's a cigar smoker as well <laughs> you know but but there's definitely a sniff of the irish grandmother about her you know that sort of the way uh but i mean there's a lot of tragedy in this issue as 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 sorcia loses you know someone very very important to her and and uh the real adventure starts you know it's i don't want to give i don't want to give too much away but uh i mean sorcia learns about her her lineage, her grandmother's lineage, and and what that means for her, uh, and and what that's that's going to mean coming up. Uh, so, I guess this this issue really clears up the direction, uh, and it really it, it it distinguishes itself from from the first issue through its intensity and its tonal shift. Uh, there's a lot of familiar tropes. There's a huge spectrum of um, of darkness and, and optimism. And uh, uh, it's just it's it's just great. Uh, the the art is like um, it's like a cross between sort of it's nearly classic fairy tale. It's um, you ever see years and years ago the Black Cauldron? Did you ever hear of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know that that's what it reminds me of. So it's 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 like that, but 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 something else. Really lovely, clean almost disney-esque art you know art but but not it's just it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to describe it but the personality that you get in every character you know from bram whenever he's sitting on the on the witch's bench listening to the witch's poems and waiting to be eaten you know the just his his wide-eyed unable to move for for fear and and sorcia her also wide-eyed with fear but but also action, you know. the The characters are are, are great. Sorcia herself, Bram, the grandmother, the witches that we that we start to see, and you know, whenever their your your ter- grandmother is telling Sorcia the the story of the witches, there's a whole lot of negative space and silhouettes used, and they're they're horribly terrified, horribly chilling, without while still being while still being uh like the the most the most terrifying of of fairy stories that you can still tell children yeah do you know those sorts of things the 
the inferences of terror, you know. Uh, they're they're great. The witches are, are fantastic villains. Lovely, vibrant, deep colors. There's a lot of a lot of weight, in the, you know, in the art. Um, yeah, just yeah, really, really love this. Really love this. Uh, second issue surpassed the expectations created by the first. Uh, Going to be a, a great tale, magic, revenge, familial responsibility, mystery, and uh, yeah, I'm just I'm really looking forward to seeing how this unfolds. I think if you haven't read this, Alan, just get on it. Read the first, read the first two issues, and not only this, but Vicky's going to love this too. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. Bruno's going to love it. Yeah, I always got the sense looking at it, it was sort of the the gap filler, if you will, for Winds while we wait on the next volume of Wind. You know, it'll scratch yeah. that itch, yes. but. You know, I think I think calling it a gap filler might be doing it a disservice. Yeah, I mean maybe maybe that's a poor choice of words. I suppose it's just it can take the place of wind in terms of that, you know, almost looks like an all ages adventure, but it, there's actually a lot of darkness to it and a lot of layers to it, maybe in the way that the, there was with wind. So mm, yeah, but, yeah, but, but yeah, I've got as I say the first two issues there. I'm, I'm still waiting on a first print number one coming again classic diamond scenario i'm waiting on some issues but they did send us a a one per store variant so i can read issue one uh, so i will definitely indulge yeah, in and that I, and i mean i think i think there's i mean Connor mccreary i don't know what his background is but they, there's a lot of a lot of irish folklore in here um you know as well which obviously will appeal to to us here in the here in the north of, the, of that very isle yeah plugs into that uh, little gap as well with scaring too, talking about like irish mythology and stuff like that as well so mm. nice so yeah so keith's pick of the week then was the last witch number two for the 10th of february so that two wrap- indie choices two boom choices two boom choices it is boom time indeed ah <laughs> uh, my jokes are getting worse tonight and that will do it for then the 10th of february so yeah we're going to move on just straight away on to the 17th so Again, we're going to cover it in the exact same way, go through some honourable mentions, and then go into a bit more depth and detail in our pick of the week. Uh, this was a massive week for me, and I put this down to how many Keenan Black Times there are and how many Future State titles there are, but uh, <laughs> relatively even split again. So I had 31 titles this week, 10 DC, 8 Marvel, and then Indy one out with 13. What about yourself? What were your totals this week? How did I end up 10 behind you this week? 10 is exceptional. That is exceptional. That's Paddy's entire pull list. (laughs) You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, Yeah, just a lot of indie, I think, is is my my dragging ahead of you here. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So I've got 21 titles total. Uh, Four of them DC, 12 of them Marvel. So it was a big Marvel week. And five of them them indie. Well, I think nearly every week is a big Marvel week for you. You know, you you, you do love you a bit of a uh, house of ideas. I, d- I do like I do like the 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 the, the merry Marvel <laughs> marching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, same again. So we'll go through with some honourable mentions just to kick things off. Well, again, we'll start with DC. Again, a common thread running through this one, and that they're all bad titles. It's almost like DC knows what sells and what attracts the best creators. So. Yeah, I mean, the the first one for me was uh, Batcat number three hit this week. Batcat to me is a strange title in a way because it always feels really short. It's always when I get to the end of the issue, I'm like, is that it? But that's because I want more. So with Batcat, of course, you're getting that triple narrative. You're getting, you know, Catwoman back in her days when she was more of a pure criminal before she sort of straightened out, met Batman, fell in love, all that stuff. Then you have a current day case that Batcat are working on together. 
and then you have a future case which is uh, an older cat woman sort of righting some wrongs almost while uh, after Bruce has passed away and this issue had my attention straight away just from that first page because you have this great art of Bruce and Selena's daughter Helena as the new Batwoman but then the commissioner you must have got a real kick over <laughs> who is the commissioner <laughs> of Gotham I got a, a real kick out of Dick Grayson being the commissioner of Gotham, but I did have a question. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I would say, you know, you, you probably have to have a bit of a career as a police officer. You know, you have to have some some legal education there, you know. So, and, and Nightwing, Bruce doesn't, uh, Dick doesn't look terribly, terribly old there. So I'm just wondering what has happened, how he's managed he to he wrangle well. himself. He has. How he's managed to wrangle himself the position of that the highest the highest legal position in the land in well, Gotham was Dick not is Dick not a cop in Bloodhaven is that not how, not how he protects his identity when he's in mm. Bloodhaven he's a cop not currently no maybe I'm no. thinking that well the new Fifty Two run certainly I think he was uh, yeah. he was a cop but yeah this is uh, this is Tom Keane taking some liberties but it was a, a lovely <laughs> lovely yeah, fan service moment shall we say this is I mean this it was interesting this really harks back to the the Batman annual you know that that story so this this you know with with Helena and, and the future you know I really felt that in this yeah you know so but yeah this this issue was just packed full of just great moments I thought you know I love the um the surveillance footage of the Joker, like in a cell, you know, on, well, not in a cell, I suppose he's he's um, he's sort of taunting Gotham a little bit, talking about what he's planning for Christmas, that kind of thing. You have uh, you have nods to the greatest movie of all, well, my personal favorite movie of all time, of Rear Window, where there's this great scene through the back of a courtyard where Phantasm has killed someone, and uh, there's a party going on just above. That's the courtyard from Rear Window. Uh, Clay, conf- ah, Clay right. confirmed that to me on Twitter, which I thought was a great touch. But I even love that you know Helena has been shown to have taken on her father's moral compass, shall we say? Because she even says she's investigating the Joker death that was at the end of issue two, and of course Selena at this point she's just like I couldn't care less. I'm glad the Joker's out of here, but Helena still has to investigate it because even though it's just the Joker, mm-hmm. it's still murder. So she's definitely got her uh, her father's um moral compass there and, and then she's not going to be too pleased whenever she finds out her mother behind it is it is she's she? really not but then we move into what i like to call the softcore porn uh episode of the the issue clay really does draw a sexy batwoman or a sexy catwoman i should say um and there's this great fight sequence actually between selena and uh, the phantasm just comes across as really brutal really over the top um, and then, of course, you've got that great last page where uh, the Joker is somehow uh, inside a safe and is somehow able to sort of motion his body all into one as he wears this suit of money. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just there's lots going on. But it's not all fully coming together for me so far. But again, I go back to what we said about Rorschach and five issues in and it's starting to fall into place, so to speak, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, it's the same guy writing it, so... Um, you know what can you do now? I have to say, first read through this, I thought, oh, this of the three issues so far, this is the weakest. Mm-hmm. Um, but that uh, I came around, uh, I gave it another read, uh, put it to the bottom of the pile, uh, and uh, and gave it another just in case it was my mood, just in case it was whatever <laughs> was going on at the time. And and yeah, I agree. It's it, Initially, it felt weak. It's not weak. There's just there's an awful lot going on. It's a wee bit harder to distinguish between the time periods in some yeah in some cases. Um, but yeah, I really really like that uh, 
that uh, Dick Grayson, um, bat, bat woman, bat girl uh, side of things there. And I don't know if maybe against the backdrop, with Future State being such a big thing at the minute as well, you know, yeah. seeing that seeing that future period yeah. uh, as maybe maybe some as, as maybe a wee bit confusing. Maybe maybe it would have been nice if this had been released at a different... As it was meant to come out almost, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I just... Yeah, I think there's a lot of cool stuff in here and, and, and reading it a second time, uh, I thought actually it's not it's it's not weak at all, and of course the art remains absolutely stellar. So yeah, um, cannot cannot complain, cannot complain. Well, of course, talking about those future state titles, another couple of strong ones this week, and again a couple of Gotham-based ones. We had issue two of the two-part Nightwing series, otherwise known as the Nightwing Next Batman team up issue. Yes, it was. Uh, it was a great second issue. Yeah, uh, I thought it, so. I thought it was stronger than the first, maybe. Possibly, yeah. yeah the first issue yeah. was all set up. This one was all action, I would say. Yeah, it felt a wee bit more uh, Dick Grayson that we know and love. Um, teams up with Jace Fox's, Jace Fox's next Batman. Shows his, you know, his, his, his keen mind, his sharp wit, and how, you know, he has, he's evolved the lessons learned from his mentor and, and really stepped into that role as the leader of the resistance against the magistrate. But there was a lot of, uh, you know, obviously there was the team up, there was the dynamic duo uh, with Nightwing in the mentor role and the next Batman in the student role, nearly, I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was appearances by the Future State Bat family, who, you know, all of them have been variously included in various other Future State stories or backstories. Uh, you know, but what's what's been, I think what's annoying me a wee bit about, not annoying me, but just tweaking me a wee bit about a lot of these Gotham books is there's a there's a lot of dependence and drive that's based on the legacy of Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. but that's kind of lessened for me by the fact that he is a not dead, uh, but b is popping up in every other future state title anyway. Really, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's uh, so so he's he's he's, he's omnipresent, but he just seems to be hiding from all his friends. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't want to put them in danger. Yeah, well, yeah, I know that, I know that, but it just that sort of lessens the it just lessens the the impact of that drive, you yeah. know, that want to want to pick up where he left off, sort of thing. So uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, yeah. yeah, it was just an issue full of loads of cool moments. You know, the the misdirection when they sort of lead into the fight. You know, the resistance turning up, which is you know Batwoman, Man Bat, Two Face. Interestingly, uh, Robin, Oracle, Talia, Batgirl. Uh, it had some great car moments as well, where he's dying to oh, test out yeah. the new car. Did uh, did you feel the uh, the weight of the the new the next Batman movie and the fact that his Batmobile is going to be a muscle car? It's almost like a little bit, it's, yeah. It's almost like like Nightwing pipped the next Batman movie at the post. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, just that really sort of hopeful note at the end of Nightwing and the next Batman sort of walking into the into the daylight, you know, sort of like ah, oh, morning, another day. So yeah, I've I really dug the two issue Nightwing stuff. There's some good quips in there as well. It's, you know, the first issue felt very much like a, a darkened Dick Grayson Nightwing, and it's almost that through meeting the next Batman, so to speak, that he actually rediscovered a little bit of his joie de vivre, if you will. Um, oh, you know, joie de vivre, you say? Yeah, I do indeed. You know, he's quipping quipping to his heart's content through that. So yeah, the Future State Nightwing two issue series was pretty great. 
And then we finish off with the, the DC side of things with the next Batman issue 4. And again, I touched on it earlier, but I think the reason Dark Detective stood head and shoulders above Nick's Batman for me wasn't even the main story. It's just the backup stories were a little less interesting, a little less engaging for me anyway than the Grifter and the, the Red Hood ones in Dark Detective. But mm-hmm. I thought the main Nick's Batman stuff was great. You know, it kicked off where Batman was being, you know, attacked by this couple who had searched out the, the people that had killed their, their children. But they were there. They then became killers themselves, and it was a really interesting issue. You know, a lot of sacrifice in it from the husband for the wife, and you know, some really good action through it. I thought with Batman driving, really good car chase scene as well. And then it, it, there was definitely some uh, underpinning tensions at the end of it between the Fox family and all the different members of it. We we sort of we sort of got to leave something there because we know that we've got the next Batman second son. Yeah you know, uh, on, on its way uh, from John Ridley, which I have to say I'm going to be, having, having read these issues, I'm going to be picking up, I think, uh, for sure. I think I enjoyed that. I'm really interested in why Tim changed his name to Jace. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, definitely something to, uh, to keep an eye out for, see if we get an explanation along the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I enjoyed, I, I sort of enjoyed the Batgirl story, the, the prison one. Mm-hmm. Sort of enjoyed it, uh, you know. Spoiler and uh, and uh, yeah, orphan. In fairness, it wasn't bad. It was nice. It was a nice reveal when they found Oracle as well through the story. I thought, um, and the Batgirls always sticking together and that kind of thing. But yeah, there and was the, yeah, some good yeah. Stuff the, the Gotham City Sirens was okay. It was all right. Um, it was interesting to see Poison Ivy with Catwoman rather than Poison Ivy with Harley Quinn. Yeah, uh, you know. So that was that was kind of. That was it was all right, but as you say, nowhere near the strength of of some of the other uh, future state backstories. Yeah, I mean, although you do get that lovely crowd pleasing, long fan pleasing moment of you know Dick and Barbara together in that middle uh, Batgirl story as well. So again, a little bit of joy in the uh, the darkness that is the future state in Gotham, I suppose. Mm. Mm. Speaking of darkness, um, I thought Immortal Hulk Flatline was a pretty I mean, it dealt with some pretty dark stuff. Um, uh, did you think? Yeah, I enjoyed this. This was uh, written and drawn by uh, you know friend of the show, shall we say, Declan Shelby, yeah. and I thought he slipped effortlessly into you know the world that is very much created by uh, Al Ewing with the Immortal yeah. Hulk. I was very impressed with this. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a, a it was a fantastic issue. It, it worked, as you say, totally in tandem with the the current series, and I mean, he, he did a it's a it's a one shot. Um, it, which we're starting to get more of as well. Interesting yeah, with the Mortal Hulk, you know, is it? Yeah, I think it so. seems to be barreling towards its conclusion. I think Al Yoon has always said it was going to end with issue fifty, and then we've got that we had the threshing place recently with Jeff Lemire, and Mike Del Mundo. And then, of course, we've got one coming up soon as well, which we previewed in the the previous podcast, which is Juan Ferreira on art as well. So, but yeah, Flatline I mean, was was great. It was. It was. I mean, it was. To me, it felt like a story of depression and anger and loneliness. And that one, that one page where we see Bruce, we see Bruce. We don't see Bruce. We see the Hulk. In the aftermath of every time Bruce has tried to kill himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was that was a gut punch. I felt. I mean, that was a real. That was a. Uh, yeah, that that was. 
that was something. And and but I think I think the idea is that even when you know the the idea that even when maybe we think we're alone, we're we're not alone, and and that's certainly the case with with Bruce and his relationship with the Devil Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, every time it, it, it was reminiscent of of actually what what uh, Mark Ruffalo said in the Avengers. You know, uh, you know, I tried to eat a bullet, and you know, the big guy woke up or woke up and spat it out, sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, but yeah, it was it was it was a new perspective. I think on that banner, banner devil Hulk relationship, mm-hmm. uh, you know the the Hulk. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. It was it was a great great story. It was very 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 good story. There was a lot going on in it. Um, uh, it was pretty. It was pretty dark, and it addressed it addressed a very difficult situation. I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was also, I think, you know, you'll obviously get more from it if you read the main Immortal Hulk title, but I thought it stood on its own pretty well as well. It's just a really good one-shot, and it actually might be a, a, not a, necessarily a starting point for people because it runs so close to the end, but if you want to <laughs> dip your toe into the Immortal Hulk world and give it a go, see what some of the, what all the hype is about, I suppose, that you could definitely do worse than, than jumping into this. So, yeah, Mortal Hulk Flatline, I thought, was really, really solid. Yeah, very, um, very good indeed. Very good indeed. Uh, another Marvel one that uh, I just knew you were going to love, and I really enjoyed it as well, uh, X-Men Legends. So, <laughs> you want to go yeah. back to the glory days of the ba- of the X-Men animated show from the 90s? And yeah. the X-Men comics of the 90s? Look no further. Yeah, I mean, break up break out your your yellow and your blue cyclops uniform and the danger room and and snap on all your pouches because that's exactly where exactly where we're going i mean i i love this uh so you have the 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 crux of this series is we're going to have all new state tales starring your favorite x-men spanning classic eras and and written by the creators of those those eras so this and these are these are in continuity as well, you know. Yeah. So they're you know they're yeah they're not things. throwaway tales, you know. This is no. this is padding out this continuity from the nineties, and that's really interesting in itself. It really, I mean, and that this is obviously the era of that the the X Men animated series was based on. You know, all those uniforms are the same, but but yeah, I love this. This was Fabian Nassis and Brett Booth, and they seem to have picked up. You know, the, these guys are are legends of of the mid nineties. You know, the early and mid nineties. You know, so they seem to have have picked up where they left off in the mid nineties without even missing a beat, you know, and that, and that, um, I guess, you know, 1992 was Jim Lee's relaunch of the X-Men. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 Uh, and this, this is a couple of years after that. So this is, this is right there. This is Eric, the red, this is the Shi'ar, the Summers brothers, Cyclops and his classic, still the strongest costume, his blue and gold uniform havoc, you know, without his, post-axis anxieties and his fabulous, you know, leather jacket with its padded collar. You know, Professor Xavier's in his hover chair, still the consort of the alien magistrix uh, of the Shi'ar. You've got Corsair in there, the, the, the Summers Brothers' father. You've got the Star Jammers, and you've got a focus on the mysterious Adam X, the extreme, uh, and this long-rumored relationship between himself, Scott, and Alex. And you've also got Cable and all his telekinetic pouchy goodness um so it's a real it's a real and and not young cable actual cable uh you know real old guy cable 
Liefeld so Cable. Yes, Liefeld Cable. So it's it's a real summer family tale with Corsair, Christopher Summers, uh, the father, Scott and Alex, uh, the, the, the brothers, the known brothers, Adam X, the other supposed brother, as is the rumor has always been, and and Cable, the older time-traveling son of Scott. Um, so yeah, height, this was the height of the X-Men for me, following on from the Claremont Jim Lee relaunch. Uh, I don't know, might not be for everyone, but for me as a as a kid, of the, you know, a 90s kid who was reading X-Men at that time, but not, well, an 80s kid who was reading X-Men in the 90s, <laughs> uh, this is this is right up, right up my street, but I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was great. It was just really action-packed, really over the top, really ridiculous. As you say, it's like they, they definitely got the right artist of Brett Booth because he can really replicate that 90s style Ooh. of, as you say, muscles and horns and pouches and, you know, splash page action sequences. And, you know, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I went into it with no expectations. The main reason I was collecting it, I have to be honest, which for all my faults, is that there's this really gorgeous triple connecting cover of yeah. which I, I made sure you got it as well. And the issue one is the first part of three, and it's just absolutely beautiful. But I really dug it. It, it really just did feel like a big whack of nostalgia uh, in, oh, the, and, and, in the best way. And I am Fabian, Fabian Aziza. He still has it. He absolutely still has it. I mean, he's he's still still writing great comics, so that... That's just great to see. Just yeah. great to see. Yeah, the, the forgotten man for creating Deadpool because apparently Rob Liefeld did everything. If you li- <laughs> if you listen to Rob Liefeld, uh, so yeah, no, I I really dug it as well. So X Men Legends, yeah, as you say, this is going to be three issues under Nikiza, and then you're going to have uh, a new writer come on, which we were chatting earlier. It's Louise Simonson, I believe. Uh, yeah, Louise Louise Weezy Simonson, who was one of the one of the classics of the the Marvel bullpen. Um, actually, I was I've been watching that. Um, is it uh, Marvel Six One Six on the on the Disney on Disney Plus, uh, which is a you know it, it goes through a lot of different bits and pieces of it's a it's a documentary yeah and uh, and Louis Simonson was was in that but I also watched that Behind the Mask documentary okay that is that is a great watch Alan give that a, give that a give that a look um, about you know Marvel through the ages mm-hmm. um, and I guess representation uh, you know uh, ethnic and and all sorts of representation and characters in Marvel. I mean, Stan Lee seemed to be doing, uh, you know, uh, you know, inclusiveness and di- diversity. Uh, oh, you know, years before, <laughs> years else. before it was even a thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, re- sorry, we 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 sideline there, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, from the joys of the Marvel universe to ugh, Tony Stark, go on. Ah, Why is Iron Man now. good? Why is Iron Man good? You are, you are. <laughs> I don't know. You're. It's it's like you're 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 berating yourself by holding yourself away from from what has consistently been one of the best books on the shelf since it started um iron man 6 chris cantwell's high concept low-tech and iron man has him teamed up with hellcat as he continues it, it just continues to be issue an issue you know one of the strongest books that marvel is releasing cafu's art is phenomenal and cantwell's his exploration of the cost of tony's ego his drive his and his vulnerability are, are exceptional. Rhodey uh, has been held hostage since the start of the story. Rhodey is back in the game, uh, back in the War Machine armor, you know. And that's aside from, you know, there's a there's a there's a side, you know, there's a side helping of of I guess Scarlet Spider mm-hmm. as well, which is always a bonus. And Tony is about to pursue Korvac into space, but he's literally being held together by his armor. 
Um, you know, there's a scene here where his neck's broken. He's there's a scene here where you know he he can't he can't take off the helmet or the armor. He can't take off the armor. He's been powered by he's been powered by drugs that have been pumped into him. He's been you know the you watch his, his prodigy you know tightens up the the, the neck bolt on the uh, on the armor in order to to exert more pressure on Tony's neck so that you know he he won't suffocate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's 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 so good, Alan. This this book is so good. I'll continue to take your word for it. <laughs> Just how about this is issue six. There's going to be a trade. Pick it up and read it. I'll see what I can do. I, I do certainly have the means to organize an Iron Man trade for myself. Uh, yeah, so Iron Man 6. Next up was uh, the fourth issue of Keenan Black. So the main uh, Keenan Black series. Obviously, it's, there's so many tie-ins and everything. But this was pure uh, Donny Cates and Rand Stegman. I enjoyed this issue. For me, it was the weakest of the four, but that's not necessarily a um, a degrading of this issue. It's just the first three were so good. My I, my slight issue with this issue, ter- hey. terrible way of wording that, is that end of issue three, as a surfer fan, I was like, here we go. And then for me, this just seemed like surfer tries a few things, didn't work, and then some character came in that I know very little about, but you're about to educate me on. Captain Universe, yeah. is it? Uh, yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, so yeah, this uh, this came out of left field a wee bit, um, but we saw the solution of a persistent Marvel mystery uh, in Captain Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I absolutely love how how Donny Cates has has ret has retconned this. Um, it was maybe a wee bit of a deep cut for. Uh, I guess for newer Marvel fans, uh, you know, who maybe don't know about Captain Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was something of a twist for, I mean, I think we were sort of all expecting Silver Surfer Black to be the savior of the day after the cliffhanger at the end of last issue. Yeah. But I mean, all I can say is, is well played, Donnie. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it, was a fairly, it was a fairly good job. I don't think Silver Surfer was useless. I think... The, the the omniforce the the captain universe power the universe the uni power mm-hmm. needed to get through needed to get through the the symbiote shell around earth and silver surfer was there to be able to do that was be able was able to take the omniforce into himself into the into himself and then he had the power to to cleave through the the dome yeah so th- that was silver surfer's role but then it was the that moment where silver surfer you know, Noran Rad, wise that he is, just went, ah, it's not me you're after. You don't want me because the 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 Omniforce, the Unipower, um, Captain Universe is a is a guardian and a protector of eternity. But rather than a character with a single identity, it's a universe it's a persona that has merged with a whole lot of different hosts throughout its throughout its history. Yeah. Um it's an extra dimensional force that possesses an individual or you know, in a time of crisis, transforming that person into Captain Universe, and you know, at various times, it's empowered Doctor Strange and it's empowered Spider Man. In fact, I've got a, a trade paperback up there called Spider Man: The Cosmic Adventures, and it, it gives them you know these huge superhuman strength and speed and stamina and agility and durability of like above Thor level, you know, power enhancement and senses and energy blasts and flight and telekinesis and time travel, you know. So, and the first human. 
Captain Universe was a was an astronaut uh, back in the day, but I mean we don't need to go back into the the whole history of it. You can you can look it up yourself. But but yeah, the fact that Donny Cates has reimagined this, he's gone. All right, this is a thing that merges with other people in order to oh, this is a symbiote. This is a a symbiote of light where Null is a symbiote of darkness. I just thought that is class. You know, it just, it just, uh, just that retcon and that reimagining that ex- explanation of what Captain Universe was. And, and that scene where Reed Richards goes, Oh, Oh, we, we've known what it is all along, but we didn't realize, you know what I mean? I just thought that was, that was class. Cause that was putting Reed Richards in the, in the position that every, you know, every died in the whole Marvel fan was going, oh, right, we have known what it is all along. We just didn't know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I thought just well well played, Donny Cates. You know, that was that was fantastic. I can see why you were disappointed. I can absolutely see it, but... Disappointed is the wrong word. I just, I think the series has been so good so far. And again, I wanted it to be the surfer that made the difference. And I know he made a difference, but... Yeah, yeah. You always, you always can, want to see um, your favorite characters, you know, do the big moves, you know. Of course, of course. But I just thought it was a, I thought it was a lovely. It was nearly like a lovely reward for, for the the hardcore Marvel fan. Yeah. You know, I thought it was a, it was great, and it was great to see Jean Grey letting loose as well. Yeah, uh, that was that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I uh, yeah I, I enjoy this. I enjoy this, and I'm really looking forward to the the conclusion next issue because. As we know, at the end of it, the uh, the Unipower possessed the dying body of Eddie Brock. So wow, I mean, Eddie Brock is Eddie Brock is someone who is comfortable bearing a symbiote, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so what? This is going to be this is going to be something. This is the the conclusion is going to be epic. Yeah. <laughs> plus, plus, unfortunately, with this issue, Marvel pulled out a frustrating thing from the playbook of DC. What's that? They put eight pages preview of for another title at the back, uh, because they put in a preview of Demon Days X Men by Peach Momoko, and you yeah. and you know what I mean. You're really enjoying a big event book, and you're like, oh, I have so much more of this to read, and then you turn the page, and that's usually a DC playbook one right there for. Here's the first six pages of Future State, or here's the first six pages of you know whatever. So yeah, that left me a little cold as well, but. Again, DC are more guilty of that more often than Marvel, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I mean, probably worth uh, probably worth having a look into Captain Universe and the the uni the Enigma Force, uh, and 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 seeing what's seeing what's going on there. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And then just a couple of Marvel ones just to throw uh, a little mention out for again. So a little Keenan Black tie-in that you enjoyed as well. Yeah, I really did. Uh, Planet of the Symbiotes number two. Now the the last issue of it. It's a, it's the compendium, you know title that's just spotlighting various characters last issue didn't light me in fire at all but i really enjoyed this issue and particularly the first story which was which featured uh, a, a character called american kaiju uh, which is not a character that that i know a terrible lot about but effectively american kaiju is um is a where where did they early appearances were in new avengers 9 and 10 and the u.s avengers series which i didn't really read but um American Kaiju is a soldier who has undergone an experimental super soldier treatment. The soldier, by the way, is called Todd Ziller. <laughs> what about that? So <laughs> uh, he's he's undergone a treatment and he can become a breathing, you know, fire living, breathing sort of behemoth who's a defender of the, the USA. He's just this big Godzilla monster. 
and his entire front is painted in stars and stripes. Um, you know, so fairly, and all he, all he says is USA. <laughs> so, but I, I really enjoyed the story. You know, it's a story about, you know, what it is to be a monster and, you know, is is he the monster for making the decision to become the monster? Because obviously he's fighting off all these symbiote dragons, but at the same time he's doing massive damage to to houses and people and families, you know. And is he the monster? Is is his country the monster for for making him this way, even if he chose it? You know, it, 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 so it was a really interesting. Uh, it was a really interesting story, and it was written by uh, Mark Bernardin, mm-hmm. which I hadn't realised that's that's the second. Uh, story in as many weeks that Mark Bernardin has written for Marvel, so maybe we're seeing something happening here. And I didn't realise that until until the very very end. The second story was about Hobie Brown, uh, the man who was originally Prowler, um, and you know he's more or less saying to his girlfriend, "Okay, I'll never put the Prowler costume on again." And then within ten minutes, you know, of, of that <laughs> null attacks, and he's he's got a costume on. But it initially confused me because. You know the costume that he has on isn't wasn't the Prowler costume. It looked like it, but it wasn't quite it. And it wasn't until the end that it was revealed that Hobie is is no longer the Prowler. He's working under one of Peter Parker's old Identity Crisis era aliases of Hornet. So I really enjoyed that one. Uh, I really enjoyed that one as well. Um, so yeah, second second issue was was uh, was way stronger than the than the first for sure. And then just one last one. One of your favorite Marvel characters, of course, gets a shout out then with your final Marvel honorable mention. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned this. I think this was my pick of the week uh, last month was Iron Fist, uh, Heart of the Dragon, number one. And this is just 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 continues. Uh, Larry Hammer, Hammer, and uh, who obviously is, is known as the the, the God King of G.I. Joe and uh, David Wachter's run on uh, on Iron Fist. Great art masterfully efficient storytelling um setting up a world-ending threat that that really that really works stakes just get higher and higher uh character interactions are are brilliant uh explosive action just keeps the whole thing going and what i thought as i was reading this was jesus why is this contained within you know a six issue iron fist many this this the the stuff that Larry Hama is laid down here. Could be an event. It could be a Marvel event based around Iron Fist. It really could. Um, it's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Uh, but then I'm a huge Iron Fist fanboy, so um, you know, <laughs> I'd say I'd say Roddy might be enjoying this one as well. Yeah, well, you know, given his love of GI Joe and as you say, Larry Hama on writing duties, I've read issue one of that and I really enjoyed it. Of issue two in the box, so I will yeah, I will get on that. Uh, and then, yeah, just a few indie ones just to finish off with. Uh, another one that came close to being my pick of the week. Issue one was my pick of the week, so I, I needed to throw out some love for issue two of Haha, which is uh, the latest title from W. Maxwell Prince. And this is, a, a, again, a cl- an anthology series based around the idea of clowns. And every issue is going to have a different artist on it. So with the first issue, it was Vanessa Del Rey. With this one, it's Zoe Thorogood. Uh, of course, Chris O'Halloran, one of three colorists who work in comics, clearly, uh, is the colorist on it. But this one was a really heartbreaking little tale to do with uh, a mom and her daughter. And they were essentially going cross-country to find this uh, this circus that the mom had childhood memories of called Funville. But the mom also has this clown fetish that, you know, that's how she makes her money as they go across America, shall we say. Uh, she finds men with very strange perversions and uh, indulges them. 
but then it takes a very dark turn in the middle, well, even darker turn than that in the middle. But yeah, these are just really wonderful little one-shot stories full of great character moments, full of sort of the the, the sort of darkness of the human soul almost and some of the, the sort of tortured souls that are out there in the world. But yeah, really, really great series. I'm I'm really enjoying that so far. Uh, so that's Haha ha number two. Then we have... I have to throw out a mention for this now. We, we're we're going to make a slight announcement right here. Uh, we, we had started this little corner called uh, Dandering with the Dead. Our intention was that uh, Roddy was going to, you know, chip in with little reviews for it because it was the first time he was reading it. Keith and I, of course, are both seasoned veterans of The Walking Dead. We read it start to finish, loved it all, and are happy to read through it again in this deluxe format, which is in colour. Roddy's just got a little sidetracked just with, you know, his, his own sort of busy busy times at the moment. So Keith and I are going to jump on top of this in the next few weeks, and I think it's from issue four onwards we need to do. Now, the reason we want to spotlight it in the sort of so-called Dan Room with the Dead is because if we didn't, this would basically be a pick of the week every two weeks, and you guys would be bored listening to us talking about The Walking Dead. But issue nine was this week, and first of all, holy crap, what a cover. Uh, David Finch is doing new covers for The Walking Dead Deluxe, and this one shows three of our heroes and just an endless sea of zombies in front of them. It's it's really an incredible image. But the reason I spotlighted or wanted to spotlight this one so much, this was the first issue that really felt like the Kirkman Walking Dead of if a character's happy at the start of an issue, that character is gone by the end of the issue. <laughs> uh, just a really great issue where the guys uh, think that they found some solace. They think they found this little gated community where they can all have their own houses and you know the, the pantries are full of food and they think they can maybe start to rebuild a life here. But you know they're going out to do some searches and Rick goes to the very front of the community and there was this sign when they went in that was covered up by snow but now it's melted and Rick now sees it and it's all dead. Do not enter. And this just leads to an, a brilliant action-packed issue, full of heart, full of emotion, uh, full of the realization of just how screwed up this world is. And it ends, of course, with one of the biggest moments in early Walking Dead uh, affecting Rick and his mm-hmm. family. Which I had completely forgotten about. Yeah, you turn the page and you just get hit with it and, and, and you feel that gut punch again. You felt it the first time when you read it. And now yeah. you feel it this time, you know, and but it's really interesting as well. The Walking Dead Deluxe, not to go on about it too much, but it always has like a sort of a retrospective section in it uh, by Robert Kirkman. And he will talk about, you know, would I have handled this part a little differently now being an older writer? Would I have changed the, the structure of it a little bit? That kind of thing. And I think it's really, really interesting that. But they also reprint the letters from the original Walking Dead issues as well. And it's nice to sort of peer into the the future a little bit with those. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just every two weeks this comes out. It is just a perfect example of a comic product. It's cardstock cover. It's beautiful glossy paper. It's filled with extras so you get your value. It's still at that $4 price point, And it is quite simply just one of the best stories in comic history, uh, but told in color. So... We, we, we just want to spotlight it a bit more. As, as we say, we know Roddy's got his own uh, sort of busy uh, time at the moment. So we're going to jump on board that and bring that little feature back, I think. Just because Keith and I want to talk about Walking Dead. So. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was Walking Dead number nine. And then just one last one you want to throw out a little bit of, uh, a little bit of attention for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Excellence number 10 uh, by Brandon Thomas, uh, Kerry Randolph. 
this 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 book continues to be uh, a, a really phenomenal allegory ridden exploration of family and generational divide and and the black experience of unyielding societal structures and I think well, I think the book maybe has suffered a wee bit because of the the COVID break and getting back to its normal sort of release schedule, uh, because it's it's a complex story with quite a few drives and moving parts to keep up to date with. I mean, it'll it'll massively benefit from a reread. Um, just uh, Brandon Thomas, you know, on writing is is just great. Really, you, you know. It really, he really keeps it, you know. It's, it keeps moving, you know, you know. And and Thomas's story beats work really well together with with um, with Randolph's, you know, Kerry Randolph's real, yeah, kinetic art, I guess. And I mean, the, the, the two things just work together, great. And you 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 feel the pace. You feel the pace of this as you're moving through it. Like you don't want to linger too long on 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 one of the panels where, for example, they're using fantastic silhouettes or, or negative space. Uh, it just it just looks it just is great. And I guess in this at this point, Spencer, uh, you know, our Spencer deals our hero is attempting to flee the city to stay ahead of of his pursuers from Aegis, who he's trying to you know this this structure this magic structure that he's trying to bring down. Uh, Wesley's reflecting on a conversation that he had with his mother, and meanwhile, Spencer's father, Raymond, has been pulled in for questioning about Biagis, about his son's activities, and the interrogators unwisely threaten his mother, Spencer's grandmother, in the process. It's just, it's a, it's just great. It's a great, uh, you know, it's the back half of the second arc here. All family stuff, boys and their mothers. Um, it's just, yeah, really, really enjoying this, and I think. I think it'll do, it'll do really well from a from a reread. So I'm looking forward to pulling those out from issue one again uh, once we hit issue twelve and, and going through them all again. I think I'll get a lot more out of it. Yeah, I mean the first uh, the first trade is actually available. It came out recently, but as you said, it had a very sporadic release schedule there for a while, and I believe it sort of stopped mid second arc. And, mm-hmm. and for a book where you talk about you know momentum and kinetic and you know movement so much, it it did kind of suffer a little bit from that. But it's still a popular book in our store. There are still quite a few people that have the uh, that have it on their pull list and so forth. So hopefully they're all still enjoying it as well. So, yeah, that is the uh, honourable mentions. We're going to get move on then to picks of the week. And Donny Cates had to have a pick of the week, even if it wasn't Keenan Black. Um, as much as I'm enjoying Keenan Black, and it is brilliant, I think he's doing better work on Thor. Uh, issue 12 hit. This is part four of the Prey storyline, which is, you know, his sort of take on Donald Blake. It's his take on, you know, Jane Foster Valkyrie in this world. And this issue was crazy in all the best possible ways. <laughs> uh, you know, you had guest appearances, surprises. You know, you had Throg in here, Lockjaw. You know, those two characters alone made this issue for me because it was just so, so much fun. Um, you know, it actually kicks off with uh, Behold the Ballad of Simon Walterson. Um yeah, just full are of we, so are, many... we, are we not there? Are we not there? 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll allow you to uh, explain all the nods and, and tricks in here because you're probably going to know better than me. But yeah, essentially what a lot of this issue boiled down to was a, an extended fight sequence between Donald Blake, who is just all kinds of powerful at this point, and uh, Throg and uh, Lockjaw. Now, Throg is not a representation of Thor that I know very well. I was convinced his name was Thorg, not Throg. <laughs> because Thor with a G, but then that doesn't fit the whole frog thing. But I especially love the part where Donald Blake's fighting him and he's bouncing along Donald Blake's sword and then Donald Blake eats him. And then the next moment you see this wee tiny hammer just coming out of his mouth, spinning back around and hitting him in the chest. Um, Yeah, just great art the whole way through by Nick Klein. The, uh, the stakes are going up and up. You know, Jane Foster is obviously much more akin to the, what the situation is now. She's had her suspicions until now about Donald Blake and his behavior and so forth. But she gets thrown hip deep into the story when both Lockjaw and Throg appear on the streets of New York as she's walking down with her morning coffee. Mm-hmm. And also with uh, Donald Blake attacking Stephen Strange and treating him like he's nothing. Uh, you see Jim Foster going to full Valkyrie mode as well towards the end of the issue. We have some stuff with Thor in the and sort of in the underworld. And then of course we have probably Keith's favorite line in comics of the last year, I would say. I will not take it away from you. I will let you say the line because it's also from your breakout character of twenty twenty. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean I think it, it it's it's the entire exchange between Mr. Horse, who, as as you rightly said, is the breakout character of, of 2020 from Jane Foster's uh, Valkyrie. He is her winged steed, but he also happens to be from the north. Uh, you know, he's very, very Sean Bean in his ways. Ew, um, blood. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Lockjaw, uh, of course, is the, the inhuman dog um, who is part of the inhuman royal family. And... Uh, Traditionally, Northerners and royal families do not mix. <laughs> so, so <laughs> we have Lockjaw going, Horse, you're a brave one to show your face here. It has been a great while since we last battled. Be on your way before I. And the horse goes, Oh, I like that, is it, you toughy nosed royalist wazzock? <laughs> well, I not, might not be here for thee, lad, but up and I'll make the time. <laughs> and Throg goes, Horse, that's enough. And uh, the horse goes, Throg, I will. If this great posh puddin's with thee, that's different. Just watch thyself, mind. That can never trust a Tory. <laughs> we knew we'd get a political statement in here somewhere. But I have to admit, when I first read that little part, I was I was thinking of you and I was really curious because obviously Donnie Cates has taken over all the great long work that Jason Aaron did. And uh-huh. I'm guessing to this point, no one else had written Mr. Horse but Jason Aaron. Yes. So uh, no, I was yeah. interested to know of your, you know, interpretation of Donny Cates' writing of him. I'm guessing pretty pitch perfect. Oh yeah, it is. But I think uh, Jason Aaron, yeah, obviously had the wrong long run on Thor, and uh, Jason, uh, sorry, Valkyrie was 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 yeah. created by Al Ewing and Jason Aaron. Yeah. Uh, Al Ewing being a northerner, uh, so Al Ewing, uh, whenever he came off of uh, Jane Foster Valkyrie left a lexicon with Jason Aaron of how Mr. Horse will talk, how he should talk. So it seems to me that uh, that Jason Aaron has shared that lexicon with uh, <clears throat> with Mr. Cates, uh, <laughs> or in fact, they've called up Al Ewing and gone, would you mind writing uh, Mr. Horse's uh, Mr. Horse's dialogue here for us? 
Yeah, I think you might be right. <laughs> but yeah, there was but, just loads of great callbacks in this issue as well. I mean, you think back to the start of Donny Kate's Thor run with the whole, you know, exchange he was having with Tony Stark and giving out phone numbers and stuff like that. You know, Jane Foster tries to call Tony at one point and his voicemail says, Hi, <sighs> yes, this is Iron Man. However, due to some big blonde jerk, I no longer use this number, but hey, nice try anyway. <laughs> you know, nice little callback there. Yeah, thanks, you know, The last page is superb. I mean, the last page is a print waiting to happen. Uh, certainly a very different interpretation of a character we're used to seeing in Thor mythology, who Jim Foster wants to team up with to take on Donald Blake. And it's good to see him back. Indeed, it hasn't appeared at all so far in, in Donny Cates' uh, run, has he? I would say he hasn't appeared in, in a number of years. Yeah. Uh, is it? Is it as... I wouldn't like to put a number on it because whenever I put a number on years, I'm usually uh, woefully, uh, woefully under uh, underestimating. <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, the 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 whole issue is just superb. The art is brilliant the whole way through. It goes back to what you were saying about excellence. It's very kinetic. It's very fast paced. It's it's again, it's almost like watching a movie. You know what I mean? It it's so well paced, so over the top, and. You know, it might be a bit too crazy in some places for people, but I just think it works. You know, this I'm guessing this is very far removed, certainly from what I've read so far of Jason Aaron's very classic Thor storytelling. This is this this is Thor through the lens of heavy metal to me. Well, you see, I would I would have said that Jason Aaron made made Thor metal. Uh huh. You know, he made Thor. He made Thor in the in the metal for sure. I mean, and and the soundtracks that he very often poster that he was listening to when he was creating would 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 definitely back that up this is it's part four of six of prey isn't it yep so it's only um, six issues two more issues of this but i mean i thought this issue had the potential to be too ridiculous but it managed not to be yeah it was it least, was towing that line but yeah at least at least not to the point that that ridiculousness was out of place yeah so obviously you get throg in there you get lockjaw uh the from the pet avengers uh and a guest appearance by by mr horse as as you just mentioned had the had the line of the week in comics to my mind yeah um there was the the focus on jane foster's valkyrie i was really really pleased to see donny kate's using mm-hmm. uh you know using valkyrie the, the way that the way that he has been um the reappearance of Odin for the first time in quite some time obviously it's great now i had a slight quibble with the power dynamic that you mentioned here yeah i was curious to hear your thoughts on this yeah. you had teased me with this before we started recording so so what we had we had don blake here who you know we had him backhanding dr strange out through the wall of the sanctum sanctorum okay uh no problem there because you know previously we've seen donald blake who now has the power of the dragon mm-hmm. and a portion of thor's odin force uh to 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 top that off we've seen him We've seen him blow through the entire Asgardian army, you know, including, you know, Hogan and Fandral and uh, Lady Sif and Volstag and Heimdall, you know, in pretty short order. And yet, Lockjaw and Throg gave him pause through most of this issue. I get the you feeling with I mean? that, though, you know, certainly with Throg, I think it was just a lot of underestimation. You know, the, the fact that he thought, like, eating them was enough, for example. I think it was a yeah. case of he saw them as playthings almost, and therefore because he underestimated but them. But in the end, he does get the better of both. Yes, he you does. Know, he so, very much does. So there is that. But 
it is interesting. I mean, how far along is Doctor Strange in comics now? Because didn't Donny Cates do a little run on Doctor Strange? Doctor, yeah, Donny did a did a, a run on Doctor Strange for sure. And is that the um, run that is referenced here when uh, Doctor Strange is talking and he says the Asgardian magic I used against Loki when he usurped the title of Sorcerer Supreme? And then it says, note, back in Doctor Strange 3 at 1 to 3 at 5. Would that have been around the time that Donny Cates was writing Doctor Strange? Um, because he certainly, he cut his teeth on Doctor Strange before he moved into Venom and moved into, you know, possibly being Marvel's number one writer at the moment. Yeah, so so that was the run uh, on Sorcerer Supreme that Cates and Gabriel Hernandez did. Mm-hmm. And that's how, they, that's how they, they kicked off their run was by... Uh, you know, having Loki as the, the Sorcerer Supreme. So that that's exactly what that refers to. And that is um, something I will give Kate's massive props for. He's very good at linking his universes together. Oh, he really is. Um, not, yeah, and yeah, we'll certainly I mean, get into that in his indie title on the next podcast. Because yeah, I don't know sure. if you've read Crossover 4 or not. but Not, not yet. It's in my big old pile. But <sighs> even, I mean, even the, the crossover, he, he doesn't, I mean, he said on, on one of the Stegman podcasts, he doesn't put stuff in there by accident. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the Silver Surfer Black thing in King and Black, we were just talking about buying the, you know, I guess some of the Thor stuff he's doing. He's linked in, you know, Jason Aaron's uh, Necro Sword and the God Butcher, all of that stuff. So yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, I really like how he, how he uses he uses the stuff the stuff that he knows. He uses the yeah, hundred yeah, percent. He must have one big massive manual at home of all the stuff he wants to tie together. <laughs> and and just uh, and just for your uh, for your edification. Uh, that reference at the start, behold, a ballad of Simon Walterson. Simon mm-hmm. Walterson is uh, Throg's original mortal identity, but uh, the name, of course, is a nod to Walt Simonson. Walt Simonson, uh, yeah. yeah, classic uh-huh. Thor, so, yeah, creator. Uh-huh. Exactly. Awesome. So yeah, uh, again, just absolutely adored this issue. I think it was the most. It, it was just it was an issue that you just had a smile on your face the whole way through reading it. You know, and that that is the highest compliment I can give any comic. You know, you you don't look at your phone, you don't think of the outside world. You're just totally enraptured by a story, regardless of how silly it is, and it's just stupendously entertaining. So, yeah, absolutely love this and gagging for issue thirteen after that cliffhanger reveal for at the end of twelve. So, yeah, so that was my pick of the week for the seventeenth of February, and that is Thor number twelve. So, we're going to finish off this entire podcast now with your pick of the week for seventeenth of February. Yeah, and I, I think it's probably one that was probably fairly close to your pick as well. And it is, in fact, given that our last uh, our picks for last week, the tenth, were both boom titles. It is, in fact, another boom, boom title. title, and it is by uh, a writer that we have already mentioned, uh, one Kieran Gillen, and an artist we have already mentioned, already one mentioned. Dan Mora. <laughs> um, so we've got what I've got here is Once and Future number sixteen, uh, Kieran Gillen, Dan Mora, and Tamara Bonvillain. Uh, by Boom Studios. Ah, oh, just uh, I, I, I think this may. I know you have a particular best issue that you, you're not gonna, you're, you're gonna be hard to shift. But I think this is. Ten will struggle to be shifted, but yeah, I'm this, happy to be this, proven wrong. Yeah, this, this, this has shifted it for me. Not just because of the story, not just because of the revelations, not just because of the fantastic art, uh, but because of how masterfully and delicately. But, well, delicately is the wrong word. How masterfully Kieran Gillen balances four story threads here. Mm-hmm. And he bounces between them, you know, page at a time or two pages at a time, bounces between each of them, but still manages to keep the pace, 
absolutely frenetic, accelerating towards an end where he just pulls all those threads together. Uh, you know, in the in the in the final the final page or a couple of pages of the story, um, there are some fantastic revelations around the family, around the government, around a pact that was made ages ago. Um, we've got, uh, you know, my my confidence and understanding what's going on in this story and the elements of this story are reflected in Duncan's confidence as he grows in his role as a as a monster hunter hunter or a or a story hunter or I guess not just his role but his roles because he's taken on multiple roles at any one time and that that same confidence that Duncan has makes me wonder how much longer Graham Bridget is going to be around oh don't say that don't say that. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so we, I mean, we kick off in Camelot, another world. We've got uh, we've got Merlin and whatever whatever Merlin's planning, um, you know, whatever he's doing with Arthur and, and Galahad. Uh, Arthur is, is seated in the Siege, Siege Perilous, which the story would suggest, the story of Arthur would suggest he's not supposed to be seated in that seat. The Siege Perilous is an empty seat at the round table, that is, is supposed to be occupied by someone who is not is not King Arthur, uh, so it, it doesn't seem to be going well for for Arthur there. But uh, Merlin has a plan, and the eventual uh, reveal of Galahad, if you remember, Galahad was is sort of Duncan's brother, if you recall, and mm-hmm. he was he was he, he was grievously injured uh, earlier on uh, in the in the series, and what. What Merlin has done to him, uh, in order to 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 make him continue, is, is something mad. So we've got we've got that story. We've got Gran and Duncan trying to escape Lancelot. Lancelot is looking for Guinevere, or who he thinks is Guinevere, but Guinevere is not actually Guinevere. Guinevere is Mary, uh, or possibly Nimue, depending on what role she's occupying, um, or, and possibly someone else. I think, um, and he's he's Lancelot's pursuing Gran and Duncan. Uh, Rose is dealing with um, with Hempelworth, who is a government agent who's turned up at her home in Bristol, uh, and you know, so Rose is dealing with Hempelworth, and meanwhile, Elaine slash Mary slash Guinevere slash Nimue is trying to escape Hempelworth, and he just cuts between each, you know, and these these bursts of of action, and the you know the page turns and the tricks he's using to his advantage, and then of course. There's also one of Hempelworth's soldiers who is we see is working for the prime minister and the prime minister, you know, Hempelworth engages um, engages in the two soldiers he has, he has with them. You know, the soldiers are complaining that they could have this one woman if they had a whole unit with them. Why is there only two of them? And you know, from now on, he goes. Thank God, there's only two of you because clearly Hempelworth understands the nature of the stories and what happens if. Too many people see too many things, and I guess you're maybe seeing a wee bit of a, a wee bit of a, an edge on on uh, in the Department of Truth there, maybe. Yeah, possibly, possibly. You know, not not that these two are linked in any way, but maybe you know just what I mean? slightly thematically, yeah. Yeah, thematically. So so Hempelworth he engages what he says full censure, full censure. Don't ask any questions. Uh, whatever you see is under is under something significantly more important than the Secret Service Act. So, so remember, no questions. You didn't see any of this. And uh, you know the next, the next, we see a flashback 
to this soldier now you know James and he's in he's in the prime minister's office the prime minister's face being blacked out but from what the prime minister says um it's quite clear that that prime minister is uh, Boris Johnson um <laughs> because you know that they, they he's telling saying James I want you you know where where Hempelworth is saying forget everything you see the prime minister is saying I want you to remember everything you see and report directly back to me. This should be kept a secret from Hempelworth. Uh, stick in the mud, old rules, new times. You know what you know what I mean. Shake a bit of dust off the place. And uh, he says, understood, sir. But I thought that Hempelworth was the expert. And of course, the prime minister says, oh, I think we've all had enough of experts. What sort of prick does that sound like? Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, there's another political statement. For I was going to say but, we're we're ending strong in the political stuff. Yeah. So so I just I just I mean, there's there's a there's some exposition dropped here as well. You know, as we as we learn about, um, again, there's there's just so much going on in here. Uh, as we learn about, um, where does Hempelworth, uh, where does Hempelworth say he's talking to? He's talking to Rose. Um, oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm the person you've been contacting whenever you needed something done. You've been straining the accord. Understand, early versions of the accord predate the Norman invasion, but only reached its modern form after the War of the Rose Children. And uh, Rose says, War of the Roses? And he says, no. So what the hell is the War of the Rose Children? Obviously something, you know, linked to the story. Uh, the accord is simple. As few people know about what happens in the shadows as possible, as all who know are vulnerable. Uh, there is a servant of the state who is the sole contact with the family. The family, I think, being Bridget's family, Duncan's family, mm-hmm. uh, and ensures that they have what they require. The shadow secretary, me, uh, you know, the family is essentially given a blank check. However, there have been times when the family has pushed too far. Some go rogue. When Her Majesty's government suspect the boundaries are being pushed, they can demand an investigation. The Shadow Staggery gets a small staff and discovers whether the family are true to the accord or taking advantage. So, you know, has uh, Mary slash Nimway slash Guinevere, is she, she one of the ones that's gone rogue? There's there's just so much stuff here, so much exposition, and there's a dragon, um, <laughs> and you a know, great, so. a great piece of art, a dragon, and a quintessentially English. Oh dear, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the things that that makes this just that underplaying of these yeah. of these things. Dan Moore is, you know, that so the, the two bit bits of exposition are are interesting. Hempelworth. Um, Grant's family has always been working for Yvers Real Britain since the Normans set foot in England. Templeworth's jobs to keep them supplied. And then there's the reveal about the soldier, the Prime Minister trying to undermine the Accord and Hempelworth. You know, and it, it harks back to that that whole scene with the box and the Prime Minister's desk. Um and then there's there's some exposition with Gran as she explains to Duncan that, that this isn't the first Arthur that's been put down. Uh, and she's been killing monsters for a long time, but this time it's very, very different from those other times. The stories are all getting messed up, and we've seen that with Duncan have to, having to adopt a variety of different roles um, in the story, and she's just not sure where it's going. And there's a wee bit of there's a wee bit of fear in that exchange because Gran has been, you know, Bridget has been really, really sure of everything throughout this book, and now she's just not. Yeah. Um, Dan Mora. Oh, <laughs> even with him splitting his time in a future state, excellent. You know, Lancelot looks class. The dragon looks class. Um, you know, and the changes that Merlin and the Siege Perilous have wrought to Galahad as he's become some sort of 
fucking horrible rotting undead centaur mm-hmm. uh, are just great and crazy and ah uh, it's just brilliant it's just brilliant yeah that's yeah, always worth showcasing tamra bond villains colors as well because it's it consistently is one of the best looking books on the racks and it's a perfect marriage between that uh, Dan Moore and Tamar Bomb villains colors. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't really look like any other title on the shelves. That's that's the other thing I would say. But no, uh, no it's. Uh, I just it, it it it's such a big issue. Like not just with regard to what's going on in it. It deserves another read. Uh, it really does. There's so much going on in this issue. Even Nimue and the bath water and the boiling all that stuff. Um, yeah, just I'll be curious to see how long Once in Future lasts because obviously you've got scope here and you could go bigger and bigger with it. Um, but the, the one worrying aspect for it is because there's so many story threads. Like, I don't see Once in Future having a jumping on point for new readers apart from the very start. If you know mm-hmm, what I mean, mm-hmm, you know. Yeah. So there is that element to it. But you know, yeah, put together a big, lovely, glorious hardcover, oversized edition, and. Uh, I am there to appreciate that art. And as you say, just to, <laughs> to give that reread where you can, you know, get the momentum with it and read it issue to issue. But yeah, it always goes towards the top of uh towards the top of the pile anytime it comes out. So yeah, great choice as always. I'm sure Once in Future is probably featured at least four times by this point. I would say so. But and yet issue sixteen and I am still looking forward to each issue and seeing what happens and seeing what it unveils. It's just it's great. It's great. We've come a long way from Duncan and Rose out on a date, haven't we? <laughs> we really have, and I, <laughs> I'm looking forward to going back if I ever have the chance to to uh, to reread those issues as well. And and Bridget sitting in her old people's home saying, "If you change that channel, I will break your hand." You know, we've we've come a long way. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. So case pick of the week then for 17th of February. That was once and future number 16. And so, we have come a long way. We that we have that Two we weeks. have two weeks worth in the bag we will be hoping to do uh, the next two weeks all in one i mean some titles out in the next two weeks i'm certainly looking forward to and i know i'll be talking about you know this week for example this is the third of march we're recording you know infinite frontiers out i'm looking forward to that direction dc's going in batman comes back with 106 with uh, the week before we have the last issue of dark detective we've got neil Bider returns we've got walking dead 10 this week we've tons and tons of great stuff that we'll certainly look forward to uh to getting to anything that sticks out for you that's in that large pile to your left i'm looking forward to the start of two moons uh i'm looking forward to that uh looking forward to uh generation forge the second part of that uh that particular uh generation shattered um looking forward to crossover four you've just teased uh department of truth it was good Uh, interested in berserker number one yeah i mean it's been a long time coming it, it kept getting delayed and delayed this is of course the kenny reeves matt kint title with ron garney on art uh and then there's also another big indie one hit this week with a new scott snyder indie series called noctera uh which kicks off this week as well so looking forward to uh aftershock and uh aftershock's Return to Undone by Blood uh, with the, the start of the New York, The Other Side of Eden by Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson. That's the the the, the, the revenge cowboy story that uh, that has finished. And so I'm really looking forward to that. But I think what I'm really, the one I'm really looking forward to is AWA's Chariot Number One. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's definitely something there's, there's definitely something a wee bit Knight Ridery about it, that. That, that uh, cover is the bastard child of Knight Rider and Drive. 
Yep, yep, absolutely. You, know, you can almost hear real human being in your in your uh, a real hero, sorry, in your head from uh, the Drive yeah. soundtrack. Looking at that cover, or so. uh, or or Spy Hunter or something along those lines. Good call. Uh, Good call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so plenty to look forward to, and again, we're going to cover those two weeks next week as well and bring us bang up to date, and then hopefully no more diamond delays and hopefully back to weekly content. So uh, that is going to do it for us this week. So massive thanks to Keith as always. Uh, always fun chatting comics for a few hours. Can't complain about that. It's uh, a, a good antidote uh, to uh, to hump day, as they say. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That was That was great fun. That was great fun. Good stuff. So, as always, any titles that you heard us chat about should be available through the store. We've been uploading all the new releases on a weekly basis now onto the website. You want to get any pull list set up so you never miss an issue, get in touch with the store as well. You can always find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the usual places. But that's going to do it for us. I hope you guys are staying safe out there. And uh, we'll look forward to welcoming you to the store when we finally get back into it. So, stay safe out there, guys. And thanks for listening. Mm